And good morning. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. That would make me Glenn Clark. Griffin's here. Prince Charles is here this morning as well. Much to do on a Tuesday edition of the program. This week's NFL draft segment, our old friend Kyle Stackpole. Once upon a time, an intern right here at Pressbox. Proof that you can go on to find success. You're not doomed, Charles. A lot of opportunity ahead. Kyle's now with CBS Sports covering the NFL draft. We will chat with him in a bit. Uh, so it's Tuesday. Patrick Stevens will join us, talk some Terps, college hoops. Maryland's got Michigan State tonight on the road and later on this morning. Uh, looking forward to I, – I, I've never had a conversation before with Sammy Siragusa, who is Tony's daughter. I, I believe, if I'm doing my math correct, you see Tony holding Sammy – at the end of Bullies of Baltimore when the Ravens won the Super Bowl. I believe that's her. I'm going to make sure that I'm right about that when we talk to her. But uh, Sammy not only is going to tell us about you know seeing her dad and the way he was honored on Sunday, but also what they're doing to try to keep his legacy going with uh, something called Goose Flights. And our friends at Be More Around Town uh, did an event to raise some money. I know Jimmy's did an event to raise some money for Goose Flights. She's going to tell us a little bit more about that. And also this morning, Anthony Adams, uh, who was the longtime assistant coach to Pete Karinji at UMBC, of course, last week. Uh, Pete Karinji announced his retirement, an utter legend at uh, UMBC. And Anthony Adams, his longtime assistant, is going to take over as the new head coach. So we're going to catch up with him as well. So lots to do on the program today. Today's show is brought to you. By PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Eagles or Chiefs, place your Super Bowl bets with your favorite team and pick from hundreds of fun prop bets. Thousands of dollars in special sign-up offers with the top sports books are available at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers right now and join the fun with great offers from FanDuel, BetMGM, Barstool, and more. So I had a couple people check in yesterday that were a little bit surprised that I didn't talk about this alleged report from uh, Jeremy Fowler over the weekend that the Ravens and Lamar Jackson were $100 million off. So here's the reason why I didn't talk about that on yesterday's show. It wasn't a report. It, and I don't mean this with any due disrespect to Jeremy Fowler, who I think you know we've had on a number of times over the years. Jeremy Fowler would not tell you that it was a report. He would tell you that he was talking about the fact that there is this belief that the largest fully guaranteed deal the Ravens offered. Not there's a difference between um, you know fully guaranteed, guaranteed and fully guaranteed, right? Like there's this, it's NFL contract reporting is so insanely stupid. But fully guaranteed is like guaranteed no matter what at signing. If for some reason tomorrow you were to suffer an injury that were to prevent you from playing football ever again, you would definitely still get this money. Fully guaranteed. And the word was $133 million. Was the highest fully guaranteed number. Completely, fully, totally guaranteed number that was put on the table. With our belief being that Lamar Jackson wants a Fully, 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 fully guaranteed deal. So if those things are true, then there would be probably about a $100 million difference. Now that number sounds outrageous. 
the Ravens and Lamar Jackson are $100 million apart. No, I keep trying to tell you. They're really not. They're a part in what's fully guaranteed. And depending on who you talk to, what your opinion is. I We were trying to track down Joe Banner this week because he and I ended up having a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter. The argue can, argument can be made either way. You remember Dominique Foxworth coming on with us a couple months ago and making the argument that if you're Lamar Jackson, you shouldn't be living and dying over what's fully guaranteed because this is the NFL and quarterbacks all get their money in the NFL. That's the way that it goes. Quarterbacks don't get released. The con- contracts are largely structured that you would essentially have to be hit by a bus or something like that in order for you to not get all of your money. And then some, for the most part. And that's the argument that Joe Banner was making at the 33rd team. Joe Banner was essentially saying, hey, look, you know, I mean, come on, what are we doing here? You're going to get your money. Why mess with this? Whatever that offer is, 200 plus million dollars you're gonna get your money on the flip side what for some reason nobody wants to say is well if they're gonna give him his money why can't they just make it guaranteed and that was my point that i brought up last week that joe banner ended up pushing back on for some reason i still haven't gotten an answer as to why why is the onus on lamar jackson individually to just say, hey, look, this is a good offer. I'm going to get my money anyway. Let's just go ahead and take it. As I've said a billion times, why is it worth it to the Ravens to risk not having their quarterback over a dispute about how much cap flexibility they might have in the fifth year of a deal? Because they're not actually $100 million apart. It's not like the Ravens are saying, we, th- we think you're worth $100 million over five years, and Lamar Jackson's saying, we think you're, I-, I think I'm worth 200 The difference is in what's fully guaranteed, which is kind of silly to be debating over when, again, the overwhelmingly likely scenario is the quarterback's going to get every penny. For some reason, we've decided that Lamar Jackson should be the one to give in on that and not the Ravens. I mean, I get it. I know why the Ravens would like Lamar Jackson to be the one to give in on it. I know why any team would like the player to be the one to give in on it. I don't know why we wouldn't say the opposite thing, which is why is it worth it to the Ravens to potentially go through quarterback purgatory over, again, what amounts to a debate about a little bit of cap flexibility at the end of the contract. In the very minimal, minimal chance that something goes drastically wrong, how you can salvage it. So that's why I'm not discussing this report, because it wasn't a report. It was just reacting to what we think the knowledge is. And that number, while it sounds explosive is not nearly as explosive. This is not a debate about what the contract value should be or how much annually someone should be paid. The debate is about full guarantees. And I'll continue to say the exact same thing that I've said a billion times. 
it would be shameful. It would be embarrassing if the Ravens became the first team to fumble a truly franchise quarterback over a debate about back-end cap flexibility in a contract. I mean, that's low rent. That's almost poverty franchise type of stuff. Now, I get it. It's unfair to say that because nobody else, presumably, has been put in a spot where they either had to choose fully, 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 fully guaranteed versus losing the quarterback. But, I mean, that's embarrassing that you would consider losing a quarterback, having to start over, over hey, man, we might lose a little bit of cap flexibility at the back end of a contract. So there's your answer. There's why it wasn't something that I felt the need to talk about. There's this new thing that I need you guys to do. Is everything okay over there, by the way? Yeah. we we got to pay attention to the show. Like, I don't know what's going on on the phone, but we got to pay attention to the show. We're doing a show now, okay? I'm not trying to scold you or act like your dad, but like we've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. we got to be involved in the show. If there's something wrong, tell me. Just say, hey, man, there's something wrong. I got to get it fixed. That's okay. I get it. This is the, the Griffin's the producer of the show. When something goes wrong, he's got to be the one to fix it. But if everything's good, like, you can't be staring off into space or looking at the computer or something like that. We're doing a show. Sorry. I'm not trying to, to put you on the spot. There's no other way to do this. I can't stop the show and do that and handle it off the air. Um, I, I, I go back to this, right? I derailed myself in the process. That's the, every, everything, everything goes wrong in these moments. Everything goes wrong. So let me go back to this for a second, right? Let me go back to where we are. We're still waiting, obviously. We're still holding with bated breath. Every time something pops up on your phone that looks like an alert or looks like it says news or something along those lines, it's not on... A, Is it embarrassing how many companies are willing to give you a push notification or something like that to generate clickbait, and it's shameful? Yeah, it's it's shameful. It's embarrassing when NBC Sports or whoever sends out a push notification that says something like, report Ravens and Lamar Jackson are $100 million apart. But it's the same thing I say about you complaining about the Skip Bayless show. It's on you at some point. At some point, the onus is on us to separate what's actually news or what's actually real from carnival barking. And when somebody sends something like that out, you've got to click through it. If you think it might be news, click through it, read the story, and find out if it is. If it's just someone regurgitating some clip from another talk show, then you know your answer. It ain't news. It ain't real. You can handle it. Most of you. Some of you probably can't. Some of you admittedly are probably quite dumb. I don't think you listen to this show. I hope not. But I get there are lots of sports fans who are. And unfortunately, you know, this is the... Elon Musk would say this is what he wants. He wants everything to be muddled so we don't know the difference between news and nonsense. There are still people that are capable of separating nonsense from news. 
and nothing about this this weekend, no matter what dude with a check mark he paid for or was not deserved on Twitter. And I, these guys, Dove Clive, I, I don't even remember the name, Dove Kleiman or Cliveman or whatever, Ari Meyerhoff, they might be the nicest guys in the world. They might be the best humanitarians I've ever known. But you should delete them. Stop following them on Twitter. They've never once reported something. All they do is regurgitate what someone else says in ways that are specifically meant to generate views. Their job is one thing. Get you to click. Get you to follow. Get you to like. Get you to retweet. Engagement. That's it. That's all they do. You are not going to learn anything. And you're going to end up embarrassing yourself because in their attempt to rewrite news or something to make it seem like it's news, you're going to get caught. And you're going to end up thinking something was news that wasn't. And again, I don't have anything against those people. What do you mean, you people? I don't have anything against those people. They're doing their job i don't even know like i don't know what a job is i don't know if they have a job they're employed by someone or they've just created this thing on the internet there are other people that do it in different ways there are lots of people that now do it with youtube there's nothing original about it there's nothing they're not reporting something they're just trying to use someone else's content repurpose it make it look like their own and get you to click people who i like do i like bobby trossett i like him but bobby's not doing anything original i love you bobby god bless you not mad at you. Do whatever you got to do. But don't go there thinking that there's something newsworthy. Reporters will do that. And even they get got sometimes, admittedly. But specifically those dudes and those push notifications that you get, if the push notification says Lamar Jackson traded to the Bears, I, I think you can probably go ahead and assume that's news. Or Lamar Jackson agrees to a new contract. That's probably news. But anything else until you get one of those, dismiss it. Dismiss it. It it ain't worth it. There is no value to any of that. It's just people trying to capitalize on the fact that we are desperately interested in what's going on with Lamar Jackson. And while there is no meat on the bone, there's nothing there, they're trying to find it because they know there's interest, and interest equals clicks. Nah! Get off my lawn! The very old man yelling at cloud at the moment. I feel very, very much like the old man that's yelling at the cloud right now. All right, you guys are being very quiet this morning. What's going on in this room? Uh, no, no, I mean, I think, I mean you're, you're right. I don't. I, I also thank don't you, thank, thank care you. much about Ari Mirov or Dove Dove Kleiman. Thank you. I think they don't. Dynamite. They don't really bring anything to Dynamite. to the NFL. Uh, I guess coverage. Very weird. It's like I'm sitting here doing a show and I'm like waiting for. I'm just getting a lot of blank stares right now. Oh. I've noticed the right? last couple of times I've come in, you usually start the show with like a 15 minute Lamar Jackson. It's okay um, to have a, a thought. Or a jump. Rant, it's okay so to jump in. Floor. It's okay to jump in. Like if it's relevant, if it can add to the conversation, not if it derails it. Of course, if it derails it, then we're then it's problematic, but it's okay to jump in and have a thought that adds to it or a question or something along those lines. I have notice on for Rappaport, and I think that's the only reporter that I 
look, ev- all of them are a little bit guilty right now. Yeah. Again, whenever there's anything that can that you know is a hot button. Lamar Jackson is a hot button issue because not only is everybody in Baltimore freaked out about it, but there's, you know, my, my buddy uh, Rami, who filled in for you last week, was like texting me last night. You know, you make fun of me for wanting the Jets to get Aaron Rodgers, but what if the Ravens were to trade Lamar Jackson? Would you, would you be interested in Aaron Rodgers? Like, every, there are 60 other fan bases that are interested in Lamar Jackson because, again, this type of player is never available in the NFL. This has never happened before. There is no comparison to this. Not that we think yet with any reason that he's actually available. But the possibility of it is unheard of. So anytime Ian Rappaport is told, I'm no doubt on Sunday, it's oh God, on Sunday it's going to suck. Because all of these networks are going to be doing eight hours worth of coverage for a football game. And they're all going to tell their insiders, give me something related to Lamar because it's the biggest story of the NFL offseason. And there's only two teams that are playing left. So 30 teams are in the offseason. So all of them are going to be tasked during the course of these on NFL Network, ESPN, Fox, all of them that are doing Super Bowl coverage on Sunday, all of their insiders, Jake Lazor, Chris Mortensen, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, every single one will be tasked with give me something from Lam- about Lamar Jackson. Oh, my God. We're going to be dodging bombs on Sunday because none of them are likely to have anything that's actually informative as much as it's just the same thing. But every time one of them says something, there's going to be 60 people on Twitter who are going to repurpose it and retweet it as news. It's going to be hell on Sunday. Throw your phone in the ocean on Sunday. Even heard it this past weekend, like um, the ESPN covered the Pro Bowl and it was very much, uh, they were using the fact that Tyler Huntley was in it to kind of play into the whole conversation it's of the, the Lamar biggest contract. story in football and it's, it's like by far you hear them talking they're like oh Tyler Huntley looks pretty good and it's like stop get the f out of here with that that's the a, offense I mean, went that's, from five touchdowns a game to two touchdowns he was throwing that's, the Jamar Chase and, that's uh, that's absurd I mean that's just a, he wasn't Harry playing Hill. football that wasn't football <laughs> guys see stop what, see what happens when you give, give him receivers we, we've I mean. seen Tyler Huntley play football that wasn't football on Sunday that was something else. I went. I looked pretty good, by the way, throwing the football in the little hole over at Dave and Buster's with my son on Saturday. You think I should be the one that gets signed up to be the quarterback? Tell you what, we killed it at. We killed it at the, um, the Hot Wheels racing game over at Dave and Buster's <laughs> on Sunday. We did a damn good job. He got a uh, he got a, a nice little Mario st- uh, plush toy because we got so many tickets over at Dave and Buster's on Saturday. No free advertising. Dave and Dusters. That's where we were. Dave and Dusters on <laughs> Sunday. Enjoyed our time there. St- this it's going to be hell. Protect, watch your head. Keep your head on a swivel on Sunday. I'm telling you, go make some plans. Avoid all of the pregame. Avoid your phone throughout the course of the day. Do not do anything related to the internet, phone, or television until 6.30. I'm telling you, it's going to be awful because it's just going to be nothing but speculation Nothing but nonsense, and every single one of them is going to be retweeted and repurposed, and you're going to be confused into thinking somebody's reporting something when nobody's going to be reporting anything. 
stop. It's just going to be a lot of, well, I've, I've heard there are teams that are poking around. I've heard that. Stop. None of it is valuable. They all have to do it because I get it. It's the biggest story in football. One of the biggest stories, you know, just separated from, you know, like criminal activities. One of the biggest stories in the history of football because, again, no one has ever done this. No team in football history has ever fumbled a franchise quarterback in the prime of their career. It doesn't happen. Which is why it's so absurd that we are in this place. But that's why it is fueling all of this interest and why, again, it's so much. It's going to be the Kelsey brothers and Lamar Jackson coverage on Sunday. You're getting that. I don't even know what else they're going to do for six hours on a pregame show. My God, what else is even all that interesting? You can switch over to the Puppy Bowl. on. Well, I will definitely watch the Puppy Bowl because I watch the Puppy Bowl every year because the Puppy Bowl is great. It's a ten and a half. It's wonderful. Let's talk now about a man. I'm mad at him, too. And I like Kyle. He's one of my favorites. He used to work here, and he's gone on to do wonderful things. But I'm mad at him because he's fueling the nonsense by having the Ravens draft a quarterback in the first round of his mock draft. God, our buddy. We do uh, NFL draft coverage every week. Kyle Stackpole is uh, done good. He has somehow overcome being an intern here and having to transcribe interviews. And He's gone on to do great things at CBSSports.com, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Kyle, good morning, man. It's great to catch up with you as always. Thank you for taking the time. Hey, Glenn, what's going on, man? It's great to How hear you. How are you doing? Everything is good, except, you know, we got to live in this this. Dude, what we're dealing with right now where every day somebody wants to come at me with some sort of new report about Lamar Jackson and none of them have any value at all. None of them are actually reports. They're just some dude, you know, taking something, repurposing it on Twitter and making it seem like it's a report when it was just a guy answering a question on a talk show somewhere. I want to rip my head off right now, Kyle. I have no interest in doing any of this. Sucks. All right. Now I got to fight with you. Now I got to. I love you. You know that, right? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have it, the idea of the Ravens. Here's what I was – I don't think it's impossible. I mean, I, how could I possibly think it's impossible at this point the Ravens could end up moving on from Lamar Jackson? Here we are. We're in the position that we're in. I can't fathom that if you're moving on from Lamar Jackson or preparing to move on from Lamar Jackson, it's to draft a quarterback with the 22nd pick in the draft given the roster that you have put together, right? Like, and I get it. Some, you know, you probably point out, hey, Lamar was the 30, you know, he was the end of the first round. Jalen Hurts was the second rounder. It's not like you can't find those quarterbacks. But if you're building the team that you've built, I just, it's insane to me to think that you would do that, move on from your quarterback, and take another chance on a back-end first rounder and just hope that it works out somehow. Why do you think Anthony Richardson makes sense for them? Yes. So I think the the main thing uh, with this is that, you know, you do so many mock drafts before the draft as things go on. And I think they become so redundant sometimes that you explore different possibilities. So I'm not, yes, I have them drafting Anthony Richardson, and, you know, I explained my reasoning of, you know, if, if, if you want to get someone like Lamar Jackson, Anthony Richardson, his skill set is uh, by far the closest thing you're going to get in this draft class. That being said, it's not to say that I'm, that I think the Ravens should do this. Um, so it's, it's more a 
product of exploring the possibilities for different teams as all this speculation is fueled because we still have months before the actual draft comes. Um, so, so I totally get what you're saying. Uh, I just think if there was a scenario where they do move on from him, I agree with you. I don't think they should move on with him. There's no reason why he's one of the most, if not the most dynamic, you know, quarterback, dual threat quarterback in the league. Just pay the guy right. what he wants. Right. Um, but that's that's a a scenario that is worth exploring uh, during this period where we're just finished up with the Senior Bowl. We're, we're still a couple weeks away from the combine, and then we're going. Then we still have a month before the NFL draft. So, yeah, it's, it's more about more about exploring the possibilities than hey, the Ravens should move on to Lamar and draft Anthony Richardson. And like you said, hope his skill sets translate to, you know, even half or more of what Lamar has been. So, so he's been in Baltimore. Let me let me let me flush it out. Look, you are far from the only person. It almost seems like Anthony Richardson has been the sexiest pick among you know even the, even some of the the top uh, draft analysts this year. Let me flush this thing out a little bit because my opinion would be as insane as I think it would be to move on from Lamar Jackson. If you do, you trade into the top. Six, you go get a franchise quarterback, and you improve your odds of finding your next rock star quarterback. Again, I would prefer to just keep the rock star quarterback that you have, but if for whatever reason you're moving on, you you move on realistically knowing we have to get the guy, not a guy. Is is there a world in which Anthony Richardson really is the next Lamar Jackson or really is the next Jalen Hurts, and they could be so smart that they could acquire a bunch of picks, still use the 22nd pick on a quarterback, and they could come out looking like geniuses like when they drafted Lamar Jackson originally. Well, that's why I think there there is all this speculation because where just the Lamar story of where he was drafted and what they were able to do with him and how Lamar was seen as an NFL quarterback coming into the league. So you have people that are going to think, hey, if the Ra- the Ravens did this with Lamar, wh- who's to say they can't do this with another quarterback with a similar skill set? Um, the other thing would be if, like, I mean, in my mock draft, I had them, you know, franchising Lamar and having Richardson learn behind him. Another thing, another thing they could do, they get rid of, if, if they were to get rid of Lamar, you try to bring in a veteran and have Richardson learn behind him. Um, but I think mostly the reason that people would think that they could turn Anthony Richardson into a promising dual threat quarterback is because of what they did with Lamar. They have a lot more credibility in that sense than another team just drafting a quarterback based on a lot of raw potential and being able to turn him into something great in the NFL. Let me let me I'm going to wrap up the quarterback that conversation this way. If they were to move up significantly high in the draft, right? Like you've got a bunch of trades at the top. Is there a place that you would be convinced if they for whatever reason again, they're moving on from Lamar Jackson, they wanted to get one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Is there a spot that you say like they have to get into the top 5 or there's no chance of getting one of those guys? Like what 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 is your reality for where you think Stroud, Levis, Young end up playing out? Yeah, I think they would have to get in the top five. There's just so many quarterback needy teams. I mean, 
the Texans, you would assume they're drafting a the quarterback. The Colts, you would assume they're drafting a the quarterback. The Panthers, like those are three teams that need quarterbacks badly. And Frank Reich in Indianapolis, he's failed with so many veterans that you know he's going to be pushing to go up for for a rookie. Jim Irsay, same thing. He's going to. I don't think he'll allow Chris Ballard to go get another veteran quarterback. He's going to be like, do whatever you can do to get our number one quarterback in this draft, whether that means giving up a bunch of draft picks to move up to number one. So I, I think that's that's what's so intriguing about the top is that with the number one team, the Bears not needing a quarterback, there's going to be so much wheeling and dealing going on of where where can we be in the best position to get our QB of the future? Because I think those three guys have been lumped together, and there it's just – I'd be surprised if it isn't in the first five picks. Okay, I, I don't. Stroud, Stroud, and Young aren't making it past five for sure. Right. Levis is a little different. I, I feel like him. There could be some teams that, you know, they they see his traits, but his production last year for a variety of different reasons wasn't where it needed to be. I could see him maybe dropping a little bit, but those first two guys are, they're just locks to go at the top. I wouldn't. I mean. It almost seems likely they're going to go one two after, you know, assuming the Bears are going to trade out. The we're talking with Kyle Stackpole, CBSSports.com. He's with us here on GCR. Kyle, the wide receiver position is the one that the Ravens have needed to upgrade, you know, for eternity um, since they've existed as a franchise and probably about as desperate as they've ever been after they had to line up Demarcus Robinson as their number one receiver in a playoff game this year, which is one of the more depressing sentences we've ever uttered. Um, there seems to be consensus about the top three wide receivers in this draft, but not really consensus about where they're going to end up going. And, of course, we're talking about uh, Quentin Johnston, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Jordan Addison. You've got Addison in the top ten. Can you just sort of take me through those three guys, where you see them being, what the likelihood would be that one of them would maybe still be sitting there at 22, and – how different you think they are as far as potentially being number one wide receivers in the NFL? Yeah, for sure. I think I think with with Addison and going at number nine, and I think I mentioned it in the mock draft of just how so the Seahawks traded back and how the board fell. They I think they really want the edge rusher, and if they if they they're not getting Tyree Wilson or Miles Murphy, then they're kind of stuck a little bit. And it's okay. Who who should we grab? What position should we grab? Um, so I, I think the ceiling is for that first receiver is probably like nine, ten. If, if someone maybe reaches a little bit, I think they're all more, yeah, teens to twenties types uh, receivers. And I, I think it's kind of just like pick your poison. You have Quentin Johnson, who's the more who's the physically gifted. You know, he's got the size, he's got the speed. He, he's more of a contested catch guy. Whereas Jordan Addison, he has more speed. He has you know route running ability, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is a little more of a wild card because he was basically hurt um, for much of this year. But if he didn't get hurt, he could have been the number one consensus in the class just based on his ability to, to gain separation. He's more of a you know all around receiver, whereas I feel like Addison's more of a speed guy and Johnson's more of the you know jump ball mm-hmm. um, kind of be more physical at the catch point. So I think personally for the Ravens, just based on what they have now, that Quentin Johnston would be the best fit. Um, 
just to kind of compliment Mark Andrews and Rashad Baton. Okay. And I do think there's a scenario where you know he's available at that spot because I don't think like last year last year you had you know the Saints just doing what they did to go up and get Olave and and the receivers there was a run on receivers early. I don't necessarily see that happening this year. So I, I think and I I'm not saying that, you know, I think Johnson's the best, I'm not saying the other guys wouldn't be good fits in Baltimore, but I, I do think that at least one of them will be available in the Ravens pick so that if they if they want to get a receiver that someone's gonna be available for them to at 13. The next receiver you have going off the board is Jalen Hyatt after that trio, and we've seen some other folks that are high on Kayshawn Booty from LSU. I guess my question would be what what do you think the separation is between those top three? That It's kind of a consensus on those three guys and the next, if for whatever reason there were to be a run on receivers, right, in the teens is there still a receiver who really is worth drafting with the 22nd overall pick? Yeah, I think after those top three, it's more of a kind of pick your poison. Like they could, you have, like you said, Kayshawn Booty, who's he's had he had a strange year after having a really good uh, rookie year, and then Jalen High, who just did the opposite. He totally exploded for for Tennessee this year. And you also have Zay Flowers from Boston College, sure, who yep. he's more seen as a second round pick, but maybe he could sneak into the first round. So I think if those three are gone and Baltimore falls in love with one of these receivers, I don't think it would necessarily be a reach for them to take that receiver there. I think it's just more of a it's a it's it's more team based with those after those top three where you kind of a lot of teams would be happy to grab those first three three receivers within the first 20 to 25 Kyle, before I let you go, we know the Ravens, particularly in the last few years, have tried to build their defense secondary in and have definitely believed in you can never have enough cornerbacks. And with Marcus Peters, one, clearly kind of taking a step back and his future being a little bit in question in Baltimore, I, I do think the cornerback position is right back into play. And the name that I, I'm telling you, I, I, Kyle, I don't know how much you know about the history here. But if Joey Porter Jr. were to end up becoming a Baltimore Raven, it would be one of the wildest stories in the history of the city of Baltimore um, because his father is the most hated player in the history of the Raven-Steelers rivalry. You've got him going a lot. You've got him in the top ten. Are you confident that he really is? That's that's the the world in which Joey Porter Jr. is coming off the board. Yeah, I think that's – It's I think it's around there. I think it's like ten to – I would say like late teens maybe would be okay. kind of the the range. So I don't think he'll personally. I mean, in terms of storylines, that would be tremendous, dude. <laughs> um, it would be electric. <laughs> like it would be. I would get a week's worth of coverage out of Joey Porter Jr. becoming a Baltimore Raven. Oh, for sure. But I don't know. He, he's he's been you know one of the risers. I feel like since the season ended, and I think a lot of people are gonna, a lot of teams are gonna you know, really like him with it, what he's able to do with the combine and just how he performed the Big Ten this year. I actually, there's another guy, you know, not going to bring the headlines of Porter, but I think Keely Ringo from Georgia yeah. Yeah, would yeah. be really really that perfect match for Baltimore because he, he was, before the year, he was seen as the number one cornerback. And I think people thought he was going to go in the top five. You know, he wouldn't go outside the top ten. But – 
he wasn't as good this year. He has all the skills to be really, really solid in the NFL. But because of the lack of production and his instincts and his route anticipation weren't as good, he could fall. And some teams could be like, you know what, let's, let's go with some maybe guys that we think are safer, like you know Christian Gonzalez and Joey Porter Jr., um, Cam Smith from South Carolina. So I think if, if he's someone that falls and the Ravens can get him, then you have a potential top five talent that you can mold into someone that, you know, joins your secondary and can replace, you know, a couple guys that you have set to hit free agency. So I, I think if he's available and, and, and Baltimore picks him, that means they think he has a really high ceiling and I would love that pick. I like that. I like that. I like Kaylee Ringo as a player a lot. That's a, that's a good call. All right. At Kyle F Stackpole on Twitter is how you follow him. What can we plug that you guys have coming up at CBS sports? Well, I mean, it's like the thing that we do best. We, we got mock drafts coming. We've had three a week since the beginning of the college football season. We're going to have really five a week starting to go forward. But just fin- finished up the Senior Bowl, which was good, and just getting ready for the combine. So just check out cbssports.com slash NFL draft. Uh, we got prospect rankings, mock drafts. We have a new – we actually have a new podcast out, which is called With the First Pick. It's, it's actually with – uh, Vikings former general manager Rick Spielman. Oh, we love Rick. Yeah, talking, yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. Talk, talking every week, and he they have they have a great segment on there called Rick's Picks, where he just goes through the best guys that they he's drafted throughout his years. So Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, and those those are great stories as well. So yeah, it's, it's a mm. draft podcast all year round, but obviously right now it's it's going to be uh, prevalent and having having that former GM really. It gives an added credibility and an added uh, added amount of insight, kind of behind what actually goes on in NFL GM offices. So yeah, with the first pick, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the draft and <laughs> the Ravens and Lamar. <sighs> and it should be should be a wild ride these next few weeks. Uh, of course, Stefan Diggs, he a turp, much like Kyle Stackpole. Hey, buddy. Uh, again, always really happy for you, your success, man. Let's do this again here in a couple weeks, all right? Appreciate you hopping on this morning. For sure. Thanks, Glenn. It's Kyle Stackpole, CBSSports.com, with us here on at GCR. Hey, uh, we had to postpone last night's show uh, that we had plugged that Stan the Fan and Ross Grimsley were going to catch up with Eve Rosenbaum, but uh, Stan just had a couple personal things he had to take care of, so that had to be postponed. He's planning on getting back to shows very quickly later this week, but if you were you know, sort of scouring the day looking for it and couldn't find it, I don't don't panic. It's going to be up. Um, they're going to they're gonna make it up. They're going to do the show. It's just unfortunately had to be postponed last night. That's all. All right, are we uh, Patrick now? Are we going to take a break now? or What's that? Break, break. Come back in. Patrick Stevens, Maryland, Michigan State tonight. We'll learn more about that next. Glenn Clark Radio. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers start at over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets start at over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life, with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license, and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. There's something for everyone this February at Laurel Park. Come watch live horse racing every Friday through Sunday and join us on Saturday, February 18th for the Winter Stakes Spectacular featuring six stakes races and $900,000 in purses, including the General George and Barbara Fritchie Stakes. The fun doesn't stop there. Stick around for our Winter Mardi Gras celebration with live music, delicious food and drinks, and a carnival atmosphere. Plus, don't miss out on President's Day holiday racing on Monday, February 20th. Visit laurelpark.com for more info. That's laurelpark.com for more. See you at the track. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio on Tuesdays. We catch up with our college sports guru. You read him in the Washington Post, USA Lacrosse Magazine. He is, of course, our friend, Mr. Patrick Stevens, at Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter is how you follow him. And he's back with us now here on GCR. Patrick, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, Glenn. How are you doing today? I'm all right. Um, I, I, let me pose it to you this way. Maryland's won five of their last six. It, is something happening here? Is a tide of some sort turning or is the story more they've taken advantage of a good stretch in their schedule where most of the games were at home and, you know, beating Minnesota on the road isn't really much of an accomplishment at this point considering they've won all of one conference game this season? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle there. Um, like, it's certainly from the looks of things, uh, you know, that first of all, that's the sort of game that, that a lesser team uh, might have looked at and said, eh, it's a night off, and, and then found a way to lose, or at least found a way to find themselves in a, in a much more harrowing situation than they needed to find themselves in. So I'm impressed by the fact that they went to Minnesota and, and just clubbed the Gophers the way that they did. Um, am I willing to sit here and say that this is suddenly like a Final Four team? No. Right. 
Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we can keep going into this. I wrote a bit about, like, who's the second best team in the Big Ten? wrote about mm-hmm. that for last weekend. Like, mm-hmm. who, who really is the second best team in the Big Ten? I, 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 get, it's I guess it's Rutgers, but, like, it's not Rutgers that, by that, a lot. That's who, yeah. That, that's, who I, that's who I think it is, too. I think it's probably Rutgers and probably Illinois after that. But... You know the, the the difference between two and nine or ten in the in the in the Big Ten really isn't that substantial. So yes, Mar- Maryland has played two of its last three games against Nebraska, which was extremely shorthanded, and Minnesota, which is really bad. Uh, they played a shorthanded Wisconsin team, and I mean you can even start going back. And you know they caught Ohio State without the key, and also as they were starting their fade. I mean they've been opportunistic. There's no doubt about it. Uh, that said. I think that if you would ask anybody around that program, I think you'd ask just about any Maryland fan back on November 1st, which you've taken 16 and 7 oh, and 7 and 5 no in the league at this point, right. you would have signed up for it in a heartbeat. So are we willing to say that this Maryland team is better than, than we probably thought it was going into the season? Sure, I think that's fair. Uh, would I get my hopes up for some sort of multi-weekend stay in March? No, but it's certainly a much greater possibility today than it seemed like three months ago. And, and Patrick, I would even go not even all the way back to November first. Let's go back to January first when they got their yeah, brains I mean, beat in start, at Michigan. I, yeah, I, 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 I thought the season really I, unravel is the wrong word. I didn't think they're going to lose every game, but I thought reality was going to set in on January second. I would have woken up that morning and said, "Yeah, this probably is not going to end up being an NCAA tournament team." Probably not, and, and I think too, you know, they had two victories in January before this run, that Ohio State game and that Michigan game, yep. they're kind of like what I like to call trap door games. You don't win that and the bottom could fall out mm-hmm. very, very quickly. You know, like you lose that Ohio State game and you're staring at going to Iowa and you've still got Purdue on the horizon, not good. You know, you lose to Michigan, you've now lost back-to-back games and you've got Purdue coming up next, not good. And instead, they won both of those games and they've held home, they've held serve at home except for that UCLA game back in December. And that's certainly part of it. I mean, let, let's see what they do tonight against Michigan State. I mean, I, I think at the very least, and we've talked about this even even during some of the tougher times in January, the, the schedule certainly turns in their favor in the second half of league play. Yep. It's, all re- it's already done that, you know. And so the, the figuring out a way to get them, you know, another four victories the rest of the way, which is what I think they could if they get that, I, I think it would be a very comfortable selection Sunday. Uh, you know, you're sitting there staring at Nebraska at, on the road, maybe. Minnesota at home is almost a, a layup, you would think, at this point. And then toss up games at home against Penn State and Northwestern. That's four, and that's your path, and everything else is kind of a bonus. And th- there's certainly some bonus opportunities out there for them, especially if they play well at home against a team like a Purdue, who happens to come yep. to town next week. Yep. Uh, what do we need to know? This, of course, is the only time Maryland will see Michigan State in the regular season. You know, historically, you'd see a trip to Michigan State and, you know, maybe the, the, the second end of uh, back-to-back road games, and you kind of look at this and say, yeah, I, I don't like your chances. But, you know, this is not an overwhelming Michigan State team, obviously. It is not an overwhelming Michigan State team, but, but it's kind of in a, in a little bit of a, a spot here where the schedule turns in its favor. Right, so it gets this home game. It's it just lost to Purdue and Rutgers back to back. So it's fallen to 500 in the league. It's 14 and nine, highly underwhelming. And then you get at Ohio State, Minnesota, at Michigan, home against Indiana, and there's a Nebraska and an Ohio State waiting the last week of the season. I mean, this is Michigan State's chance to start a little run and to be able to get itself back 
to where it thinks it ought to be. I, I don't think it is a, a classic, awesome Izzo team uh, that we've come to know over the years. And, and frankly, we haven't seen one of those really uh, since 2019. Even that team in 2020 that, that shared the conference title with Maryland uh, was not it was not as good of a typical Michigan State team, right? The last couple of years have been kind of underwhelming. You know, 15 and 13, 23 and 13, make the tournament, don't stick around too long. You know, I think this is a stretch now for the Spartans. Can they sort of differentiate themselves and maybe be a bit better than that uh, as they head into March? And, and I think this is an important game for them. Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. Let's head to the local scene. Uh, what's happened with UMBC these last couple of weeks? That's a good question. Uh, I, I, I think uh, one thing that definitely stands out is, is that, you know, you, you stare down that, that main score, the two main scores that they've had. They, they, they were down big the first time around against Maine and then came back and, and, and were able to pull out an eight-point eight victory. You know, they, they had been, uh, you know, they'd been down in that game by 11 at halftime. This time they just didn't have a comeback in them and wound up losing like 35 up there. So, you know, you look at what they've done, uh, over the course of league play, and you know the thing that stands out is that they, they just simply they haven't been able to score enough to make up for a limited defense, and and that's really the bottom line. You know, giving up, you know, 81 to UMass Lowell, 84 the other night. You know, Vermont has been able to carve them up both times that they played. You know, at the same time, uh, the main game is a bit of an outlier. You look at the other margins. You know, lost by six at Lowell, lost by four at NJIT, who comes to town tomorrow. Uh, and lost by six at Vermont, you know, that's not awful. So uh, I think there's a chance that, that, that uh, UMBC can turn it, but it does have to happen pretty quickly. You look here, they get two home games this week, NGIT and Bryant. They lost NGIT the first time, beat Bryant the first time around. Uh, you know, they're in the middle of that pack right now. They, at this point, the goal for the Retrievers needs to be get yourself at least one home game in the conference tournament because uh, right now you're – you're about a game and a half out of second place. So there's a chance that you could get there. Uh, but the key at the moment is, is just get back on track, get a couple of victories, yeah. and at least put yourself in a position to be playing at home in the first first game of that conference tournament. Uh, Towson had their win streak snapped. Uh, you know, a tough game, obviously, up at Hofstra. What What is their reality now for this sort of closing six, seven-game stretch here at the end of the season? Well, the one thing we know now is that Jason Gibson isn't coming back this season. Yeah. And so the, 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 the looming issue there of, well, well, what happens when Gibson gets back? It'll be better when Gibson gets back, et cetera. Well, that's not going to happen. So we're going to have the, you know, Cam Holden show kind of orchestrating things as a point forward. You're still going to have Nigel Russell handling the ball a bit, Ryan Conway, all those guys. I think, you know, as we're sitting here, it's kind of a theme now, you know, the schedule turning in team's favor. I, I think the next couple of weeks really look good for Towson to be able to get on a roll again before they head down into the Carolinas the final weekend of the regular season. You know, Hampton has struggled. Drexel has been really up and down. I mean, what a, what a weird team the Dragons have been this season. And last weekend kind of encapsulated it, beating Charleston at home and then losing at Monmouth. Uh, and then William & Mary on the road, Delaware and North Carolina agency at home. Uh, you know, that's a possibility to, to, to get on a bit of a run uh, before they have to play Charleston and Wilmington. Uh, if you're Towson, uh, it's, as, as we've talked about a fair bit, the, the whole point at this stage is make sure you have the double buy, get yeah. a top four seed, and yeah. take your chances from there. Uh, it, was all, it was always going to come down to three days in March anyway, and it's the, the, the priority is to make sure that it doesn't come down to four days in March. 
Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And then look, you know, again, they've they've played teams well. There's no reason to think that one loss at, at Hofstra, which we all know is a good team. Well, that's um, that that is yeah. you know Hofstra would be the, Hofstra would be the number one seed in the in the in right. the league tournament right right and and Towson handled them splendidly uh, at home back on January sixteenth so you know I think there was probably a little bit of a of a payback element there for the pride uh, who had been made to look very very bad after a hot start in that MLK game and you know Aaron Estrada had was really really limited the first time around he had twenty seven this time around so. That you're not going to be able to hold a guy like that in check very often, uh, and and once is probably you know you probably hit your quota if you're Towson in terms of containing him. Uh, I guess the the other thing on the local front is we keep saying it that when the MEAC gets back underway this weekend, UMES can like continues to kind of look like the team to beat in that league. Yeah, and I mean I'm tell you what I'm looking forward to to catching them on a Miac Monday at, down at Howard on Monday. Yeah, uh, Miac Monday on Monday. Who knew, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy yeah, to do they, that sometimes. <laughs> you know they have they have won they have won seven in a row and they have won eleven out of twelve, which is, is something I'm not sure anybody who has followed college hoops in this area has has ever really pondered the possibility of it ever happening. Uh, you know, I think the the win streak is their longest since 1974, which is incredible just by itself. And you know, this weekend, this was kind of the tough spot on their on their schedule the first time through the league. You know, they lost to Norfolk State down in Norfolk. They get Norfolk at home on Saturday, and then Howard's the game that kind of jump started the, the winning streak uh, that they're on. Now they've won a few close games in there. They they had a tight one against Dell State, and a relatively tight one against South Carolina State, but they have played really well of late you know, beating the two Baltimore schools and those two teams wait toward the end of the second run through the league as well. But yeah, Eastern Shore right now tied with Howard heading into the second half of league play. And, you know, you look at those veteran guys that they've had for a while, Kevon Voiles and Deshaun Phillip, uh, among others, you know, Nathaniel Pollard is an undersized five. Uh, there, there are guys that, that know their roles. They, they know how to play. They take care of the ball for the most part. Well, Actually, they force a lot of turnovers, I should say. They, they struggle a little bit with taking care of the ball, my bad. But they play great defense. And so, uh, I, you know, it's funny, looking at their Ken Palm page, I would have never guessed to see a, a tab that says Nation's seventh longest active win streak wow. on Eastern Shore's page. But there it is, seven in a row. Uh, and a really nice job that Jason Crafton has done down there in Princess Anne. Pretty remarkable. All right, uh, before we play our game, anything in particular from the first weekend of college lacrosse? Obviously, Maryland still very good. Um, you know, I, I read Terry Four wrote about some Terry Foy wrote about some like complaints with um, faceoff violations in the Navy Mount St. Mary's game. But just anything that stood out for you from the first kind of mini weekend of college lacrosse? Yeah, I was at the second Navy game, so you know there was certainly a lot of relief that that they actually let the guys face off rather than uh, calling a whistle uh, every other time, it seemed like. So I think that's the sort of thing that'll get ironed out because nobody wants just to see a bunch of face-off violations. Yeah. Uh, and so that will pro- there will probably be some guidance that comes down and says, don't let that happen again. Uh, I think the, the national result that's interesting is right in our backyard. It was Hopkins going down to Jacksonville and picking up a 12-7 victory over the Dolphins. Uh, Tim Marcio made his first start since 2021 in the cage. You know, Alex Mazzone, the Georgetown transfer, had an instant impact. They moved him down to close defense because of some injuries, uh, had a goal, a couple caused turnovers. You know, that's an encouraging result for Hopkins, given the way that its defense got picked apart at times the last couple of years. So 
uh, to be able to keep Hop- or to keep Jacksonville to seven, a good sign for them. But obviously, plenty more, uh, plenty more on the horizon for the Blue Jays here coming up in the next few weeks. Georgetown, Carolina, and Loyola all in an eight-day span starting Saturday. Uh, we'll learn a bit more about Peter Milliman's team here soon. No doubt about that. All right, let's get into our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams? By the way, this actually came up at uh, Bar Trivia last night where a Patrick Stevens game was tossed in as a question. Could you name the four teams for Hall of Famer Scott Rowland? Straight shoot. That was a question at Trivia last night. They, they apparently have been listening. Uh, two players that I have for you today, both position players. We begin uh, four teams for Mitch Moreland is the first name that I have for you, a one-time All-Star, a Gold Glove winner, and a World Series champion. Well, he's definitely a Texas Ranger and a Boston Red Sox, Most right? certainly, yes. And I, the and other two spots, I, I'm, I will, I'm probably going to... I will join you in admitting that I had forgot. I, I remembered one of these. I did not remember the last stuff. Do I vaguely, ever so vaguely, remember him as a Blue Jay? Not as a Blue Jay, no. Okay, yeah. and I'll just, I'll just do a little, I'll just do a little dart throw here and say the Cardinals. All right, no. So it was the Padres, and I remember the Padres acquiring acquiring him when they were kind of acquiring everyone there for a bit as they were trying to get back. He also played the final year of his career with the Athletics. Was the other one. Okay. So I'll give you one. We'll clean it up a little bit. Admittedly, now I say we'll clean it up. I couldn't figure out why we hadn't used this player before. I mean, this is a Hall of Fame caliber player that we had never put on the list. I then found out it was because he had to play for two teams last year in order to qualify for our list. So I say it's okay. easier because of the caliber of player, but it does require you to remember which teams he played for last season. Five teams for an eight-time All-Star, a five-time Silver Slugger Award winner, a two-time Gold Glove Award winner, and once the MVP of the World Baseball Classic. I did not know that. I have no idea if he'll end up getting into the Hall of Fame because of other issues, but Robinson Cano is the player Robinson, that we're discussing. Robinson Cano, yes. So he was obviously a New York Yankee. Yep. A Seattle Mariner. Yes, of course. A New York Met. Absolutely. Then do you remember the two teams? I, and I believe I believe the two teams that he split the tail end of last year with were San Diego and Atlanta. Very nicely done. I admittedly I remembered Atlanta. Ironically, I completely forgot that he had, that the Padres had tried, and it was a miserable failure when the Padres tried to pick up Robinson Cano last year. It was dreadful. Well done, sir. All right, what's on the schedule for you this week? Uh, UMBC tomorrow. I'll catch Maryland on Monday, and then uh, UMES and Howard uh, next or next Monday. Uh, Maryland and Penn State Saturday. Miac Monday, and then Hopkins and Carolina Lacrosse next Tuesday to catch it, catch both of those teams early on in the year. Excellent. At Discourse D1S Course on Twitter is how you follow them. Of course, the Washington Post as well as USA Lacrosse Magazine. Always appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. We'll talk to you next week. Awesome, Glenn. Take care. Patrick Stevens with us as he is every Tuesday here on GCR. You have something? I had no idea Robinson Cano was a brave. Yes, yeah, so last year. So yes, and I, honestly, I remember the Padres. Well, when I was I going over the, the Padres, when I was going over the list of names that qualify again, our rules are you had to make at least you had to play five years past 1980 in order just time wise. Like Patrick, okay. you know, Patrick's ba- is similar to my age. Like you can't remember forever. He should know. What? He should, he should know every player should, for I mean, all time. This is, this is the title. This is what he claims to. Jesus Christ. So you had to play five years past 1980. You had to make at least one All-Star game, and you had to play for at least four teams. 
So when I saw Robinson Cano's name pop up on my list, I'm like, Why haven't used him? Or the hell? Like, I mean, I'm scr- I'm scratching for players yeah. of relevance. Robinson Cano is a Hall of Fame caliber player. Of course, I don't know if he's going to get into the Hall of Fame or not because of steroids, but he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Why in the hell would I have not used Robinson Cano before? And so I looked it up and I was like, Oh right, because he had to play for two teams last year in order to get. He had been sitting at three teams. Um, until the midway point of last season. That's the reason why I hadn't used Robinson Cano before. For what it's worth, a year ago in 12 games with the Padres, he recorded uh, three hits in 33 at-bats. And then in nine games with the Braves, four hits in 26 at-bats. It was rough for Robbie Cano. Sorry, I, I think I think uh, Griffin turned your microphone off, Prince Charles. I apologize. He he hates you is what it comes down to. And I, you know what? I think you guys should have a fight. I think that you guys should uh, should should duke it out. Go ahead, Charles. Yes. Sounds like collecting checks. Well, yes, it's exactly. Yeah. But I get it. Both of those teams are like who knows, right? This is Robinson Cano that we're talking about. Maybe you take a flyer, you you end up getting a lottery ticket out of it somehow. The answer was no, and that will be when Robinson Cano's career will come to an end. They, after two teams go ahead and try it, and it doesn't work out for them, it almost becomes the, uh, the, the, the Joe Bluth meme that it's never worked for anyone before, but it might work for us. It becomes that at some point. So I don't think they're going to end up doing it. All right, into the uh, second hour of today's show. It is uh, a reminder that there's only about a week left for you to pick up this print issue of PressBox. It is the best of 2022 issue. Our MoGaba Sports Person of the Year, Adley Rutschman, is on the cover. It's available for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms and at the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox. Of course, on Saturday night, everybody got to watch ESPN's 30 for 30, The Bullies of Baltimore. And as I tried telling you after I had gotten the opportunity to view it, um, to me... What I, what made me particularly emotional about it is it came off like a love letter to Tony Siragusa. And we had Jason Weber and Ken Rogers, the filmmakers, on the show last week. They were like, yeah, we felt a lot of that, too. I mean, it was really, you know, he was the star of the show. There's no question about it. And, of course, everybody in our city has our own stories about Tony and how much we love him. And so getting to see him sort of, you know, on the on the big screen, if you will, with the Bullies for Baltimore was beautiful. And I wanted to take a couple minutes because um, Tony's family is really trying to, to, to bring attention and raise funds for an initiative that Tony had started before he passed away called Goose Flights in a partnership with uh, Titan Aviation, his, his uh, company. And it's a wonderful thing. And I wanted to, to give an opportunity for Tony's daughter, Sammy, to join us this morning and tell us more about that and getting to watch the 30 for 30 on Sunday night. So with us this morning here on GCR, she is Sammy Siragusa. Sammy, it's uh, Glenn Clark in Baltimore. It's so wonderful to meet you. I thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us. Hi, Glenn. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to be here. Thank uh, you. Had you had an opportunity to watch before Sunday night, Sammy, or did you sit down with everybody else Sunday night and watch for the first time? You know what? We We sat down Sunday night, and we just, we were surprised from everything. We had no idea what to expect, what it was going to be like. And um, obviously it was an incredible showcase of just the light my dad was in, in this world to, you know, his team and, and many people. So I, that was what I think like, it was to me. I, I'm tell, I get emotional thinking about it. And I, I, I knew your dad a little bit. I didn't know him as well as some people in town, but we had a, quite a few run-ins over the year. He made fun of me plenty of times over the years. <laughs> like, 
I, I, the, the love, the joy that your dad brought me, it's overwhelming. I, I what, what I felt on Sunday night truly was to, with all due respect, like Ray Lewis is a star and Jamal Lewis was a star, but that show, that movie was your dad's. I mean, it was the story of the 2000 Ravens to me ended up really being about, you know, his personality and the, the, the aura that he brought to that team for you being as you know as young as you are, and certainly as young as you were at the time, did did it end right. up serving a little bit as like a, I don't know an educational kind of thing? Where like wow, I, there's a lot of stuff that maybe you didn't even know about your dad from that time that point. You know what my my dad was exactly who you saw him to be on that TV in every aspect of his life. He was just any room that he would walk into, he would light up. He just led with, with kindness and fun and, you know, great work ethic and, you know, everything that you saw is exactly how, how I've known him, too, for the 26 years of my life. So, Did, did you have an idea of how much he meant to this city? Like, did you—and I, I, and I say that, and, like, we, when we sat down, you know, after he unfortunately passed, we, we were comparing him to Art Don. Like, he—what he did in going into town— and doing events and hugging people and grabbing them by the neck and making them feel welcome I did as much for this franchise as I think any single player did on the field ever. Were, were you aware of how much he meant to the city of Baltimore as a person beyond just as a football player? I, you know what, over, over all the years, just as we would go back to Baltimore and visit, I would, I would see when we'd walk into, you know, his favorite crab place, or we'd walk into a, a regular restaurant or wherever it, it may be, I could see the love that would pour out from all of these random people. And, you know, and, and that's so special. And, you know, ever since his passing, I, I've been hearing these incredible, amazing stories about him that, you know, he had never shared, but my dad, he just, you know, like you were saying with grabbing people's necks and just giving people, people hugs and doing all those things. He, he was so genuine in, in all of that, that, that he did. Um, and so, you know, the love, I just, I could see it throughout all of the years. And, um, even after I'll tell you, I was at the live, um, the live showcase of the 30 for 30 and after it was all done, and all the players were able to go up and leave and all. My dad was was one of the few who stayed behind and started signing autographs over the stage. I have videos of him, and everyone was swarming to him. You know, everyone wanted all autographs from everybody, but there were a few players who went in the back. My dad stayed out there, and I just I admired him for that. And you know, it made me understand a small piece and reason of why he was so valued and loved because. You know, with his his success and everything that he did in his life, he wanted to bring everyone up with him. It was never just fully for him. You're gonna you're gonna make me emotional, Sammy. <laughs> like you're gonna make me. I can't tell you how much I love your dad. I can't tell you how much Thank I enjoyed you. every moment that I was able to be around him and um, everything that he meant to this city. And it's so beautiful to hear you talk about it. I, I guess the important question Thank is: you. Did did you ever find yourself? I, you're probably so used to the humor that you you know you just you know to roll your eyes sometimes. But like when he's telling the story about you know needing an enema, do you have to like roll your eyes or like <laughs> how, how do you how do you handle that part of it? 
for many years of my life, I was like, Dad, oh my gosh, you're <laughs> embarrassing me. Can you stop? But, you know, over over the years, I've learned to just appreciate it and accept it and love it. And, you know, I was just, I, he's just so funny. You have to just let him be. He, he wanted to go through life laughing. That was his favorite thing to do. And as you can see from that documentary, that's exactly what he did. And, and, and you know, all areas of his life. What did it mean to you to to be able to share your dad? You know, I, I, I imagine that, like, at times in life it's tough where you just sort of want him to be your dad, right? Like, not everybody's dad, right? But, right. you know, he's, he's so beloved. To, to be able to know that your father brought so much joy to so many people, can you put that into words? Yeah, I mean... You know, yes, you have to share. You have to share and you have to learn how to accept that. And I mean, we, as I was growing up, there were definitely challenges because, you know, you sit at a dinner table and you just want to be with your family. And then all of a sudden you have all these people coming up to the table wanting autographs. And, you know, my dad, my dad did not like to say no ever. Um, But you know what? He was really good at prioritizing his family and what he would do, although he didn't want to say no, he would be like, you know, I'm having dinner with my family right now, but once we're done with dinner, then I'll, I'll go and, you know, sign whatever you want, take as many pictures as you want. And, you know, so in that aspect, he, he really had a handle on things and, and told us all about, you know, how much he prioritized us and how important we were to him. And so when it came to just him being this public figure, I just, I almost embraced it. And I, I've, just been so proud of him my whole life for all that he's done and you know he it 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 always amazed me you know and and I just have always been proud of him really but it's awesome it's it's so cool to hear you talk I'm telling you this is tough for me because it really is emotional talking (laughs) about it um uh, it can can I ask like you know you mentioned you're 26 do do you have any like actual memories of the Super Bowl like do you remember you know, it's so young. I think about my kids are, are eight and five right now, and we just took them to Disney World. And I'm like, I have no idea if my five-year-old right. will ever remember going to, like, did, were you too young to have real memories? Or was it so, like, wonderful that you are able to have, like, some sort of memory of it? You know, I do. I do have some memories. And, of course, they're not all fully there. But sure. I think one of my most vivid ones is the Super Bowl when they had one. I remember him running across the field, coming right up to the area where all of us and his family was sitting. And he, and he just, he pulled me over the railings, yep. brought me onto the field and had me. And I think my mom was there next to him too. And he just celebrated that success with us. It, you know, and that just goes back to him and just how he, he wanted everyone to come up with him. It was never just fully about him but that was just a really cool memory and there are so many photos of him holding me during the super bowl which is just so special too that's awesome that's all and i I was i was watching that image of him holding you after the super bowl and that was that was so beautiful that was so beautiful um sammy speaking of beautiful um i know that goose flights was something that he had cared about a lot uh late in his life and with his aviation company and making this possible and can you take me through for people that don't know what goose flights is and what you guys are trying to do and why it was so important for you and your family to say, we need to make this reality. Um, even with dad gone that we want to make this something that can make a difference in the world. 
Right. Yes. So a couple months before everything happened with my dad passing, um, he had been working with the NFL alumni Baltimore chapter to bring boost flights into fruition. And he had started a private aviation company in 2015 with his business partner and Titan Aviation Group. And what essentially his goal was, was to build it up super big and then have a branch off of it that focused on charitable causes. So what we, what he was talking, you know, with the NFL alumni about was how they can partner together, work together, you know, possibly transport retired NFL players, you know, to doctor's appointments for CTE, um, so on and so forth. But the vision was bigger than that, too. My dad, he just had a passion for helping children. And you wouldn't maybe know it because he never did it to get publicity. He never did it in front of the cameras. But when he was in the prime of his career, he was going back to, he was going to the hospital frequently. And he had this one kid that he would visit over and over and over again. And, you know, he always loved to give back. That's just one story. But basically, um, he was talking with Kyle, Kyle Richardson mm-hmm. over at the NFL alumni Baltimore chapter. And they were like, okay, let's, let's get this in the works. Well, you know, before they were able to start it, my dad ended up passing. And so Kyle approached me at my father's services. And he was like, Sammy, I know you're getting bombarded right now, but I have to talk to you. And six weeks later, we got on a Zoom call. He told me my dad's vision. He was like, you know, we have something really special here. You know, I'd love for you to just kind of do this. And there were multiple people who who had said that too. And so, you know, I've taken over the role of president of Goose Flights, where essentially we transport people with terminal illnesses to, you know, reliable reliable healthcare facilities, hospitals, um, vacation destinations via jet charter. So, you know, transportation these days is a little wonky. And, you know, if there's a kid, if there's a kid in another state who needs to get to a specialist, but they don't have a way, you know, to get there, well, we're here. Titan Aviation Group, they help us with all of the transportation. And it's just, a really beautiful thing that that we're doing. That's wonderful, Sammy. It, it, I know that like our friends at Be More Around Town partner with you guys, and I know that Jimmy's did an event this week. But if if somebody's listening that was just inspired by you know seeing your dad, you know I, I don't mean to be trite, but like come back to life on Sunday night watching this. Yeah. On, if somebody was inspired by that and wanted to say, hey, I'd like to throw a couple bucks that way or, or help out in some sort of capacity, where can we point them? You can go to gooseflights.org and everything will be there that you need. If you want to get in touch with me, you can, you know, get in touch with with me through there. You can donate on there. Um, You can also get in touch with our people over at the um, Jet Charter Company, Titan Aviation Group. But essentially, we're we're just trying to, to continue to shine my dad's light everywhere and, you know, help as many people as possible. The vision for this is big. And I'll tell you, you'll like this. So, his vision for it was so big that one day he wanted to buy his own private oh, I, jet for I the heard foundation. About this. Oh, this is yes, so cool. This is that so- was wrapped in a football, has the Goose Flights logo on it, and has purple snake skin interior so- inside the jet so that when you're flying kids or children or you know, people who are sick that they're reminded to just dream big and think big and just have 
this fun, warm, welcoming environment and experience when they're flying. God, that's cool. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I love that. And it's so perfectly your dad, you know, <laughs> like every, Isn't it? everything about it is just so wonderful. Um, again, gooseflights.org is the website for you to go find out more. And there is a, a yellow donate button there at the top. Um, if you're thinking about it and you got a lot of joy on Sunday night from watching the Bullies of Baltimore, I would really encourage you to click that button and make a donation for Goose Flights and what the Siragusa family is doing. Um, Sammy, I, I don't know what else there is to say. We, we, we love your dad so much, and it was so beautiful getting to see him. You know, in fr- The entire country get to see what he meant to us uh, here in Baltimore on Sunday night, and we are so grateful uh, for how your family shared him, frankly, like that, that you were, Thank that, you. you know, you were willing to say, Hey, I get it. Like other people love my dad besides me and you want to lift right. that up. And I, I, I can't tell you how much it means. Uh, I appreciate you sharing a few minutes with us this morning. I would love to do Thank this again and, and partner up somehow in the future. Thank you for taking the time. Yes, we would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the love, the support and everything. It means the world. It's awesome. Sammy Saragusa. I, uh, I apologize. I am, you know, a little emotional. I, God damn, man. Tony Saragusa was an American original. Um, they, they don't, uh, they don't make dudes like that every day. And if you watched on Sunday night and you were a young person, I mean, they, I got two young people in the studio with me. They, they, they don't know the stories that can't possibly understand what Tony Saragusa meant. You know, imagine Charles me telling you, or I've, I've talked to Griffin about it a lot. Imagine me telling you that when the Ravens arrived, not everybody in Baltimore was excited about it. Like, there was a lot of awkwardness in this city when the Ravens arrived. That the thing that had happened to us, we were now doing to another city, right? Like, the thing where, you know, our team had been stolen from us, and my father, like, the team that that we loved was stolen from us in the middle of the night. There was awkwardness about the idea of turning around and stealing another city's team the same way. There was not, like, there were still people here that said, look, I love the Colts. That's who I grew up rooting for. I'm, I can't root against those helmets. Like, when the Colts play, I root for the Colts, and I don't know where my love would be for some new franchise. And Tony Saragusa, as a man, decided to take it upon himself to go out into the community and be like John the Baptist and and just say, I'm asking for you to love us. I'm asking for you to get on board. Now, it helped that the Ravens obviously won a Super Bowl. Like, that was going to go a long way into making people, no matter what your emotions were, everybody loves a winner, and the Ravens became a winner pretty quickly in their fifth year. But the role that Tony Siragusa played in this city in establishing the connection between this city and that franchise is unparalleled. There is no one in the history of the franchise that has done more for that than Tony Saragusa did. So, from my perspective, the way he carried himself, um, his mannerisms, uh, how he went about his life, it almost seems as if there was a long table of scriptwriters writing his every move. Wow, wow. And kind of it all encapsulated into that feel-good movie story arc. Dude, I... And all of it, right? Like the 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 reminder that he wants when when Phil Sims was killing him about the Rich Gannon hit, he said, "I I don't know, Phil. My wife's five two and one hundred and twenty pounds, and I give lay on top of her once a week, and she doesn't seem to mind." Like, God, 
it was just so bloody funny. <laughs> like, would dance right up to inappropriate. Would dance right up to it. And not past it. Well, you know, like, depending on what your view of inappropriate. Not, not to where you would ever, you know, cancel him. Like, not something like he would dance right up to that line and would be uproariously funny. You know, the, the scene of him begging Brian Billick to give him a carry in the Super Bowl because they were up by 27 points. And, I mean, it's, it's just good ass. Like, and he forget about it. I mean, I remembered it after I had been reminded about it. I was like, oh, right. That was the storyline that week was Tony Siragusa was asking to get a carry in the Super Bowl. But none of the rest of us, unlike, again, if you watch the movie, you know, the Ravens were quite confident that they were going to win the Super Bowl. The rest of us were not nearly as confident about it. We thought they might win. Like, we definitely thought there was a chance they would win. But the reminder was the Giants had just beaten Randy Moss and the Vikings 41 to nothing in the NFC Championship game. And there was definitely a, you know, the Giants might be really good. Like, they might be ridiculously good. And you remember, it was there was no consensus among pundits that the Ravens were even the team to beat in that Super Bowl. It was very 50-50. And yet internally, and you saw them talk about it, like internally... They looked at the film and said, we're going to murder them, dudes. Like, they were internally... It it wasn't a story that's, like, been created 20 years later. I'm telling you, immediately afterwards, you found out just how absurdly confident they were that they were going to win the Super Bowl. And so Tony Saragusa, on the radio... Like, imagine that now. Imagine right now if... I don't even know, is is Mike, Mike Burton's the fullback for the Chiefs, right? Imagine Mike Burton publicly saying... I think we're going to win by so much that I'd like to get... No, no, no. Like no, Jason Kelsey that's, or something. No, that's really more who it would be. Not Mike Burton because yeah. he is a fullback. I, yeah. I did that. I like Mike. Mike Burton actually lives in Baltimore. I don't think a lot of people know that because he's not from here. Mike Burton lives here and is a, a good dude. Um, it's funny because we're going to do, uh, do a post for Press Box this week about all the local connections in the Super Bowl. And Luke was running them by me. Like, did I forget about anybody? I'm like, I don't know how to define this, but like... Michael Burton. Mike Burton lives here. It's an AJ Burnett type of deal where like there's yeah. no there's no obvious connection in any way. I couldn't possibly tell you why. Like I I'm not friends with Mike Burton in any way. I don't even I think we had like a conversation. I know someone who is friends with him. And I was like, why does he live here? And he's like, well, it's something to do with his wife. I'm like, is she from here? I don't know. Like, I have no idea why they live here. Uh no, it would be more like Chris Jones. It would be like Chris Jones. Saying this week, I think we're going to kick the Eagles' asses by so much that you can give me a carry in the fourth quarter. Could you imagine? I mean, it would be, it would be insane. Yeah. Like we'd murder Chris Jones over something like that. And here's Tony Siragusa publicly campaigning to get the football in the week leading up to the Super Bowl because he was so convinced that the Ravens were going to destroy the Giants in the Super Bowl that, like, yeah, we'll be up by four scores, 100. percent Give me the ball, and then he goes over to Brian Billick. Hey, hey, dude. Uh, four-score game the ball like what the hell is going on yeah. you promised <laughs> brian billick's like i guess maybe in a moment where brian billick has to admit he didn't think they were going to be up by four scores so he has to admit that he lied <laughs> i'm not going to give you the ball we're not going to do that night brian is more like a respect the game type of person we're like i'm not going to embarrass the giants by saying we think so little of you that we're lining up our defensive tackle to get a carry but what if he had oh it would have been god it would have been perfect oh it would have been just everything it was yeah. funny to hear chris uh Berman's scoregami prediction of 12-11 when I watched the documentary. I mean, he would do silly shtick like that a lot, right? Like 12-11. Berman though. would do a lot of that type of silly shtick during the course. Of course, remember, famously, he picked the 49ers and Bills every year as his Super Bowl teams. Every year at the beginning of the season, he would do a bit, and the bit was he would always pick the 49ers to play the Bills, and he would do that. 
nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills thing. I, I liked Chris Berman's shtick. I get that it was like the, the home run derby. It was way too much. Like I could yeah. never I could never do that. Of course, I don't watch the home run derby anymore, so I wouldn't care. Um, but more often than not, I was entertained by it when it wasn't a game. When it was him doing, you know, highlights, I was entertained by Chris Berman's shtick. I always enjoyed it. It, it was really good to see, to, to learn, you know, like why, you know, how the Ravens became essentially just such a model organization and why, like, I and, you know, my generation of fans right, and get to be I, so spoiled. It's and part of what I was trying to talk about last week. Like, I, I do think this was great. for, for when, when Tony passed away, I could not explain to someone who didn't live it what the Ravens were when they arrived and how they became. Like, again, people your age think of the Ravens among the top franchises in football, right? And, like, we'll see how the Lamar Jackson situation plays out, but... For the most part, they're one of the better organizations in football. They're they're consistently in the mix. They're not, you know, they've they've obviously had missteps. Of course, they, the the way they handled the Ray Rice thing was horrendous, and like it's not like they've never had problems. But for the most part, they do things the right way. And for you to understand, it wasn't like that. You weren't born with that. Like that had to come from somewhere. This was the foundation, and Tony was such a significant part of laying that foundation. Oh man, um, that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, really, really neat that we were able to do that and connect with uh, Sammy Siragusa. Please go support Goose Flights again. Gooseflights.org. It's a wonderful initiative uh, that they have put together, and um, we will try to do some things to partner up with them here moving forward. All right. Um, today's show also brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com/offers. Again, Eagles or Chiefs play. If you think that one of those teams is going to be up by four scores and you know, one of their defensive tackles can get a carry in the Super Bowl. Then place your Super Bowl bets with your favorite team and pick from hundreds of fun prop bets. Thousands of dollars in special sign-up offers with the top sports books are available at PressBoxOnline.com offers. Go to PressBoxOnline.com offers right now and join the fun with great offers from FanDuel, BetMGM, Barstool, and more. When we come back in, we are going to, I say meet, I've known Anthony Adams for a long time. But it'll be the first time we chat with him as the head coach as the, the UMBC soccer program has moved on and they've gone with uh, Pete Karinji's top lieutenant as their head coach moving forward. Anthony Adams joins us next as Glenn Clark Radio. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. And he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition 
edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers start at over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets start at over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life, with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grinder. Not that I know it's on Grinder or anything. I swear. Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. All right, back in here on GCR. Thanks again to Sammy Saragusa. That was uh, incredible. Look forward. If you missed it, um, you'll be wanting to hear that one a little bit later on today in the greatest hits for sure. We continue on a Tuesday edition of the program. I, I, when we do one of these, I normally say we're meeting somebody. That wouldn't be the case here, as we've known Anthony Adams for a long time. But it's going to be the first time we have a conversation with him as now the head coach of the UMBC soccer program after 26 years on Pete Karinji's staff. We welcome in the new head coach at UMBC. He is Coach Anthony Adams. Coach, it's Glenn. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time, and congratulations on uh, becoming the head coach at UMBC, sir. No, I really appreciate it, and uh, also thanks for having me on. Hey, man. It's been, uh, it's been a, a wild uh, few days, but uh, it's been awesome. Can, can you, just when I say the name Pete Karinji, what what do you think? Well, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a friend. I mean, I probably have a different perspective than most. Um, he's become a really good friend. He's a mentor. Um, he was my coach, but you know, I think for me, he, he's been, he is Baltimore soccer for me. People say that joking around, but you, you'll be hard pressed to find anyone who has more pride in, in Baltimore soccer all the way from youth all the way up than he does. And, uh, so for, for me, um, and I said it the other day in the press conference, I, I think he's one of the best coaches our country's ever produced. So I'm just uh, really lucky to have been around him this long. I was, I you know, I wouldn't disagree with anything that you just said. Um, <laughs> can you put into words how how prepared you feel like you are for this moment because of everything that you've been able to learn being around him for so long? Well, I think the the, the one thing that that stands out is you know when I I think I was 23. 
Um, I was 22 turning 23 uh, when I started working for him in 1997. I was two years removed from playing. And I think during the first year, and I'm still learning and figuring things out, he was putting me in charge of things right from the beginning. Made me the recruiting coordinator like my first week on the job. I think within a few months, he put me on a plane to England and said, you know, come back with two players. And fortunately, you know, we hit two home runs uh, with two guys that ended up, you know, being all conference and one's in our hall of fame. So that kind of, his, his belief in me to do that at such yeah. a young age. Good, good uh, start. Really good start. Starting to wonder if you come with the wrong, the, the wrong two guys, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. At this we definitely point. wouldn't. We definitely, we definitely would not be having this conversation. <laughs> um, what, what UMBC soccer became over the years and, and obviously of course highlighted by your guys run to the final four, but it's so much more than that, right? It's like, it's what it means on the campus and, you know, the, the massive crowds that you guys have had for games and, and to your point, the number of players that you've produced that have gone on, you know, to, to play as high as like MLS and, and overseas. How much did, did you like notice or when maybe did you notice what do you think was made UMBC soccer what it's become and how do you continue that now as you take over at the helm of the program? Obviously, there was there was success uh, in the, in the '70s, and they, and there was a team that went to the NCAA tournament, um, and then obviously it was competitive through the '80s. But when he got there in the '90s, early '90s, and I remember him convincing, uh, you know, those four guys uh, from Calvert Hall, which at the time back then, uh, and that's my alma mater, so you know, they, they they won this year, which is awesome. But uh, you know, we used to win every three out of four, every four out of five. So to have four Calvert Hall guys come to UMBC back then was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, and we wanted to play for him. I didn't know anything about the school. There wasn't the internet. <laughs> so we kind of, you know, all believed in him and wanted to play for him. And he had re- he had a lot of early success. I mean, uh, I think his first three teams, uh, was like 15 wins, 12 wins, and then 15 wins again. So all of a sudden, it was on the map. I would say in 99, you know, the undefeated run. Yep all the way to the NCAA tournament was huge. Cause I think that really, I think we were ranked as high as 11th that year. So I think that really put us on the map nationally, I would say. Uh, and then after that, you know, clearly from, you know, 2010 to 2014, uh, the run there. Um, and it's just raised the whole standard of everything. I think getting, you know, Bermuda grass in 06, getting lights in 2011, just made it a really cool place for the community to come and watch soccer. And we've always had, you know, 70 to 80% of our roster has been local guys. So, you know, that draws the local clubs and the local uh, interest. Um, and we've gotten, you know, some of the, some of the better ones. So I think uh, put that all together, uh, I think that's why we've had that success. You know, to sustain it, for, for me, like the blueprint's there, you know. So I think the biggest thing now is college soccer's changed. I mean, you've seen it with the transfer portal in all sports. Um, these older guys, uh, grad students, it's just different now. Um, you know, when you're seeing teams with like Syracuse won the national championship with 16 transfers, right? It's just a different animal than it was years ago. And we just have to, have to change with the times, but, but not lose our DNA. How do you, you know, it's, it's, I think that's particularly unique for you guys, right? Because you're the place that I'm sure a lot of other schools are looking at and saying, this is UMBC soccer. They got a bunch of kids there. They're good. But like, Maybe we could pry them away to, to come here and help us because, you know, we've, we've got a few more amenities that maybe we can offer. How, how do you handle that as you're recruiting, 
as you want kids, but you want kids that'll be there for four years. Like, how do you handle sort of almost having to re-recruit your kids now as the years go on? I mean, quite simply, I think culture wins, yeah. you know, in all aspects. And, and I think if you have a good culture and you give kids a reason to stay, you know, if they really feel a, a true connection to you and your program and the university, they're not going to go anywhere. I mean, you're always going to have your one-offs here and there, but you're not going to see a mass exodus if there's a really good culture. And that's in any sport, any program. So even with all these rule changes and different things and, and uh, you know, some of these rules make it really easy for kids to leave. I think one of the things, even like I said, this year we were most proud of is you know, we didn't have one undergraduate player hit the portal, you know, and uh, it's crazy to say, but, you know, I look up, you know, there's teams that went deep in the NCAA tournament and they have seven, eight guys on the portal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy, but that's just, that's what we live in. But I think it's all about culture. I, I, I think there's no doubt. I think it speaks to what you guys have built over the years that, that, you know, you aren't having kids constantly picked off by other programs that they want to be here and continue this success. Anthony Adams, just another couple of minutes with him here on GCR, new head coach of the soccer program at UMBC. Coach, what's the thing that you do as a coach that you most, like, the, the first time you did it, you're like, oh, God, it's just carbon copy. Like, I'm literally just doing it because I saw Pete do it once. Like, what's the thing on a day-to-day basis that you notice yourself doing that was maybe most influenced by your longtime mentor? Wow. Um, there's so many things. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, I, I was pretty introverted as a kid. Really? Um you know, yeah, I was very, very interested. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a whole lot. I think when I played, I definitely played with emotion. So that was kind of like my time to be more extroverted. But I was pretty introverted as a kid. And I think Pete's the complete opposite of an introvert. So I think, uh, you know, just, just having conversations with him and being able to, to relate, uh, uh, you know, to different kinds of people. Um, you know, I mean, when Pete walks into the building at UMBC, everybody knows it. You know what I mean? He's says hi to everybody, he's respectful to everybody, he wants to know the other assistant coaches, you know, ask them how they're doing, and I've definitely picked up that picked that up early on. I don't just come in and walk to my office and shut the door. You know, I think uh, just being, you know, helping create that community at UMBC um, is something, you know, that I really valued and uh, he really valued. I, I think uh, and I picked that up early on. I think it's a pretty good thing to pick up. Like, I think that's not a bad one to pick up. What What do you, what could you say I, I know will be different. Obviously, like, you know, you want to respect the culture. You want to continue doing things the same way. But, you know, you're your own person. What's something that maybe you, you know immediately? This might be a little bit different moving forward now. It's hard to say any one thing. I think that the main thing is, that, you know, that, you know, it's just going to be, you know, my voice will be the first voice, you know. And I think, um, you know, as I told the players, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. I mean, the culture's here. The tradition is here. Uh, but to sit here and say I'm not going to put my own stamp on it, um, you know, would be crazy. So I think, uh, I think, you know, I don't know if there's any one thing. I mean, you know, I think if I look back at this particular season, we scored a ton of goals, uh, second most since I've been there. Um, but we only had two shutouts. And I think, you know, at the end, that's why we didn't win as many at the end, even though we had a double-digit win season. Our goals were obviously higher, so – you know, my message to the team is, you know, we're going to have to be more balanced for sure. doesn't mean we're not going to, you know, we all love scoring goals. But we're going to have to be more balanced um, if we want to meet our goals. And then what does it mean to you to be able to have Pete the Third can, you know, be on your staff to sort of continue the tradition of the Karinjis at UNBC? 
Yeah, I mean, like I, like I told people, they'll still be in Adams and, and Carinzi on staff next right. year. Um, so that that's not going to change. Um, no, I, I, you know, Pete, and I, I was joking with him the other day, is now I said, can we start calling you Pete now? Or are you still going to be Petey? You know what I mean? we got to figure <laughs> that out. You are um, the Pete Carinzi at but, UMBC now. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, Pete, uh, Pete the third did, you know, add the junior to Big Pete's name. You know, he was just Pete Carinzi and first son. That's true. Started scoring lots of goals, and all of a sudden he had to add the uh, G, the JR. Um, no, we have a we have a good relationship, and um, he's been great through the whole thing because you know it's it's not easy. I mean, you're working with your dad, um, and then it's a, so it's a family thing and a program thing uh, at the same time. So um, no, it's 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 been good. You know, I mean, I think it brings a lot of continuity uh, as well with the players, um, comfortability. Uh, knowing that you know the whole staff's not turning over or anything like that, so I think it's awesome. I think it's incredible. I mean, it's such a logical thing to do to to make this move. I'm so happy for you, Coach. Uh, you got to get that uh, Twitter bio updated pretty soon, man. We got to work on that. I think I did that. I think oh, I did, did that late last night or this morning. Okay. Um, okay. Taking care. I think of I did. Our, I, you I, did, know I did remove the. You're right. I see it now. I see it now. UMBC men's <laughs> soccer head coach. Uh, Coach, congratulations. We can't wait to, to come out and see you guys. Uh, uh, happy for you. Happy for the program that there's such continuity in place. Uh, it's not easy for everybody to replace a legend, but to have uh, such a great option right there waiting, second in line, top lieutenant, uh, is an awesome thing. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning. We'll be talking as we get closer to the season again. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate you having me on and uh, appreciate your continued support and, and the fact that you pay attention to soccer. It means a lot. Absolutely, so. Coach. You know we will. That's uh, Coach Anthony Adams at A17Adams on Twitter is how you follow him. Um, he is, of course, the new head coach at UMBC and look forward to seeing what he can bring to the program. Obviously, you guys know I'm a little bit partial towards Loyola because I work there, but um, we root for everybody. We want to see everybody have success. Uh, it's good for everyone in the community. To uh, And look, if you've never been out to a big UMBC soccer game, the atmosphere is unbelievable. It is incredible. Um, of course, they've hosted uh, Maryland a few times over the years and have literally had to turn people away that were trying to get into the game because they've created such mob scenes over at uh, the Retriever Soccer Park. Um, it's an awesome atmosphere. I've had uh, I had the pleasure once of calling their America East Championship game back in was that in fourteen when they made the run. Probably was when they made the run to the uh, the Final Four. I called the America East Championship game that year, and it was as electric as anything that I've ever done in covering sports in this area. So uh, excited for Anthony Adams. He's a hell of a coach and uh, and a good guy, and uh, helps them out a lot as they move on from a legend in Pete Karinji. Um, I was reminded this weekend, Prince Charles, that you left the Bellator fight out of fighting words last week. Yeah, what do I you just... What do you have to say for yourself <laughs> on such a a failure? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think what happened was you had we had talked about Re uh, WrestleMania. And so you first, just really wanted and, to avoid the Ro the Royal Rumble. Um, I think you had in your head counted that as my first. Oh, uh, you just wanted to talk about. It. So and you you're yeah, blaming me. No, 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 no. You're saying this is no, 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 my. Then fault. once I got to what was I my second one, you were like, oh, okay, here's your last one, and I was like, it was at the point where it was almost noon, so I was like, okay, uh, he probably has something. Well, I don't know if you heard. We like, we regularly go past noon. On yeah, but um, show. I'll I'll talk about what happened with Bellator on, on this Thursday. Week. All right. Yeah. All right. Very yeah, good. I was I just looking. I at legitimately, that right now. and I'm not even kidding. I had forgotten that it was happening until Saturday, and I was like, oh right, there's a fight. No, nah, I wasn't. It was a very depressing. Yes, weekend I. For 
mixed martial arts. Well, just not ah. not in the not in the like serious somber way. Just like, ooh. Like the, the, I, I watched the, the, that the, for nothing. Yeah, the yeah fights I mean, were I get not. it. Right, I get the fights were, but he, like you knew what it was, though. Like, well, you knew the, it, you it was it was the potential of a Derek Lewis comeback win, and then yeah. Fedor riding riding out on top, and yeah, all right, either. All right, we'll talk more about that there. on Thursday when we get the fighting words. But I did realize that on Saturday night, I was, I was checking Twitter. I was like, oh right, there's a fight tonight. I utterly forgot, and then I immediately said. This is Charles's fault. What the hell is going on over here? We might have to revisit whether or not we continue this segment moving forward because he he messed that up big time. Uh, from Dave, Dave jumps in, says, Glenn, you are talking about the draft earlier on. Uh, why is it that you are so convinced the Ravens would have to use a top 10 pick on a quarterback? Wouldn't it be a perfect scenario for them to get their guy at 22 and be able to use a top pick they acquired to make sure they get the best of the receivers in this class to surround them? Uh, Dave, this is always going to go back to, look, I, I get it. They made this work the last time with a late first-round pick. I bring up Jalen Hurts, who was not a first-round pick, and the Eagles clearly found something. I, I understand that you can find those guys. If I'm moving on from definitively a quarterback that works, at the time where they made the Joe Flacco decision, like they knew they were still going to play Joe Flacco next season. I I don't I think if like they always are going to say they're trying to win Super Bowls, right? So it's the wrong way to look at it. But I don't think any of us really believe that the 2018 Ravens were like a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So if there was ever going to be a time to do something like this, in hindsight, this was probably the time, right? Like you kind of know you're riding this one thing out. Let's see if you can't get something out of it. Like let's see if there's not something there. But we already want to put into motion our next plan. Remember, of course, the Ravens, it's easy to forget now, but embarrassingly did a bunch of gimmicks with Lamar Jackson that season, which was just pathetic. I mean, that was lame. The gimmicks they attempted to run with Lamar Jackson, like he was Taysom effing Hill. Um, now, you've gone all in and spent $20 million a year on an inside linebacker. And I'm not saying that, like, you only do that if you think you're going to win the Super Bowl, but you better think you're winning a Super Bowl. You better think that's, like, the difference. So the idea of another project, the idea of spending $20 million a year on Roquan Smith to let Derek Carr be your quarterback next year or to take a flyer on a first-round guy that you're not certain about, that's badass to me. I can't guarantee it doesn't work. It's always the thing where, like, you know, That'll never work. I have no idea. Like, maybe. There's a lot of things that I didn't know were going to work in football that ended up working. Again, I didn't know that Lamar Jackson was going to work the way that he worked. I didn't... I don't know that anybody knew that when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts, they had definitively found the guy. I think a lot of people thought that Jalen Hurts was kind of a project and was going to be a guy that they were going to use. And I don't think anybody knew that. Yes, if they were to draft Anthony Richardson with the 22nd pick in the draft, maybe Anthony Richardson could prove to be a guy. But he is certainly not at this point what Lamar Jackson was. There is no world in which you look at Anthony Richardson and see, we can go back and rehash why Lamar Jackson was sitting at the end of the first round. But what we can't do is pretend like the production, the things, like it was unimpeachable. The issue was the NFL. The issue wasn't Lamar Jackson. 
in this case, the issue is more Anthony Richardson than teams unfairly judging him. There are reasonable, quite reasonable questions about Anthony Richardson. He's not a sure thing. Now, there are people that would believe that maybe if Anthony Richardson had stuck around for another year, that he could have built himself up to be a top of the first round draft, or, you know, a, a top 10 type of pick. So is it impossible that the Ravens will draft Anthony Richardson and develop him and find something? Of course it's not impossible. But for next year, when you have built a defense that you think should be trying to win a Super Bowl, to turn it over to Anthony Richardson or to create some sort of awkwardness with Lamar Jackson and Anthony Richardson? Why? Why? I also just don't even think... I feel like Anthony Richardson won't be around at 22. Like, I think uh, there's a lot of teams, I I think, that need a quarterback. I hear you, but there's a lot of questions about Anthony Richardson. Like, that's the problem. I I get it, like, that, that quarterback need could just drive this, as we talked about. This is... We've gone... So if you want a quarterback, yeah, go all two, in, like you said. Two-ish years ago, there was a time where we looked around, and something like, because I remember Kyle and I doing this this math, there were like 28 teams in the NFL that could feel confidently that they either definitively had or might have a legit franchise quarterback. Then you started to see you know, a group of guys retire. Ben Roethlisberger retires. Philip Rivers retires. Matt Ryan's very clearly past that point of his career. Tom Brady's now retired. Like, there's there's an era of those guys that's retired. Then there's a bunch of those guys that the, the definitive answer became no. Like, right at the time, we had Baker Mayfield on that list. At the time, you know, the Jets might have thought Sam Darnold was a, a that type of quarterback. There were a lot of guys that were in the maybe category. Now look around. How many teams in the NFL are very comfortable with their quarterback position. I just looked very comfortable. I'd say six. I think it's closer to ten. Right. And I and I say very comfortable. I would be counting and it's fair. I right? didn't count Dallas. Right. That's like where that, my line I, is. But you're not moving on from Dak Prescott. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, I get what you're saying. Like the rest of us from the outside would say we still have some questions about whether or not you're ever going to win anything with Dak Prescott. But they're not moving Dak That's Prescott your is yeah. your guy. Definitively is your guy. Like, the list is, you know, like, the five at the top of the AFC are insane. Philly, Kansas City. Hang on, I'm doing this by name. So, Hurts, Mahomes, Let's go Herbert, Burrow, Burrow, Herbert, Allen, Allen Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, you then, know. Then we're getting. Well, that's, so those those are the six that are, like, insane. Then it's, those, yeah. those are the six that you say definitively those dudes are studs. Then you have this other category where you're putting Lamar Jackson because – he should be in that first category, but for whatever reason, he but might then become to put available. Guys like Dak and yes. Kirk Cousins in that category with Lamar, well, I feel like I know he's fair. after. Oh, that's why I'm yeah. saying Lamar's in his. Lamar is in this category. He this, got he gets his own category. Top. Yeah, it's just that for whatever reason, we don't know if he's going to be the franchise quarterback mm-hmm. in Baltimore. But he's very much in. No the matter who first, he plays for next season, right? He whatever, is in that six. whatever team has Lamar Jackson, he's in. I, I guess it's seven. He's in this top seven of teams that are the most comfortable with their quarterback position. Then there's, to your point, Dak Prescott. Kyler Murray, of course, is in that sort of next group right afterwards where they're not. he's not going anywhere. He's going to be the quarterback. If Matt Stafford doesn't retire, while we have concerns. I'd say Jared Goff you could put in that. I think. Yeah. 
He's already been in the Super Bowl. I agree with you. It's a very tricky thing, right? Where if like Detroit had the opportunity to improve from Jared Goff, I think they would. I, I think he played well enough that I understand exactly what you're saying, but I do think if the, the opportunity presented itself, like if if Detroit got a call from the, the Ravens, like, would you guys be interested? I do think they'd be. I don't think that they are set that Jared Goff's their guy as much as they're comfortable enough with Jared Goff being their guy. They think they can win with Jared Goff as if their Detroit guy. If Detroit gets a call from Vegas for Derek Carr. No, oh, you're not yeah, moving on yeah. from Jared Goff for Derek Carr, Derek Carr. So then he so then you could say Goff is right around in right, that I'm, category. He's in that next group of guys. I, yeah. I think I still think Prescott and Murray because of their age are are above them, but whatever. We can put all these guys in the category. Just comfort. So top 7, Prescott, Murray, Stafford, Cousins, whoever Aaron Rodgers plays for if he right. doesn't retire for at least next year, that team is going to be comfortable with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback, whoever it is. So Aaron Rodgers still is on the list as far as a player is concerned. We just don't know who the team. Justin Fields is going to be the guy, right? Like, he proved enough in his rookie season. Well, he's maybe not a perfect player or a totally complete player. He proved enough that undoubtedly the Chicago Bears are not going to use the number one pick in the draft on a quarterback. They are comfortable with the idea that Justin Fields is their quarterback. And I would even go one more for now. And it's for now... I would say that the Steelers are comfortable with the idea that Kenny Pickett is their quarterback. I don't think that's a long-term thing. I just don't think there's any world in which they're moving on from Kenny Pickett this offseason. I think they're going to go into next year definitively knowing that Kenny Pickett is their quarterback. Ryan Tannehill go in that category. No. I think the Titans would try to approve mm-hmm. from Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. I mean, they already drafted a quarterback last year right. in hopes that like he might be better than I don't think there's any world in which Ryan I go back Tannehill. to the to the car question. I think Tennessee moves on from Tannehill for someone like Carr. I think they would see Derek Carr as an upgrade. Yeah. I would agree with that. There's there's its own category for Russell Wilson, who they're not comfortable with, but they don't have a choice but to be comfortable with. Like, they have to. And then there's the 49ers on a whole, who I don't know which one it is. The 49ers probably believe they have – now, again, if they have the shot to get Aaron Rodgers, maybe they get Aaron Rodgers. But other than that, they probably believe that they employ – a quarterback that they're comfortable with, whichever one it's going to end up being, right? So that, to me, is about the list. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And by the, again, we're, the we're, we're, the we're squinting on a couple of these. Like, we're, we're acknowledging that a couple of these, uh, you know, that's unfair to the Dolphins. I know that what we're dealing with is the, okay, the yeah. injury factor. Like, that's the reason why we didn't say it. But if Tua Tungavailoa, Seahawks, Vailoa, He's a free agent, first of all. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, I, no. Like, he played really well, but he's a free agent. Like, he can go anywhere. I, If your point is that somebody is going to make Geno Smith their answer next year, like, yeah, I guess, but I don't know that somebody's going to do that thinking yeah, he's going to. Yeah, you'd think you'd lock him down before he gets to the market if he is your guy. Right. I think the Seahawks internally say yeah, seems Gino, like a Pro Bowl yeah, weak move. Yeah, Geno, Geno, Geno Smith had a nice season, but. He's just good enough to prevent us from drafting our next quarterback. He's just this is what I say about people that try to make it seem like Geno Smith could be the answer in Baltimore. Like get the entire great story, great story, but that's the guy you're turning your Super Bowl hopes to because he had a, and again he had a, a really good season. I'm not seeing it, but everybody I, watched Trent Dilfer in this documentary. So. I want to be fair to <laughs> he's not impressed. Yeah. Everybody's all worked up about Trent Dilfer. Like, like who cares? Like don't get me wrong. Like I. I do think that he has a point to be made, which is how yes. much easier it is to pl- for for offense in general. There is a point there somewhere. 
But to try to th- saying I'm not impressed by Aaron Rodgers, like come on, dude, come on, dude. Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback that's ever played the position, like ever. I I get what you're saying. It's definitely the league has changed. It's way easier to play offense now. But dude, to be fair, he didn't say Mahomes. He didn't so. say Mahomes. He said Rodgers and Brady, right? Like those are the two that he said. Still, come in, come on, man. Like. Those guys are going to be good in any era of football. They're Just talking about this makes me like I was looking around at some of the, the divisions. The NFC South has by far the there's no there's not a quarterback there. There's quarterback not prospect. there's not one quarterback in the NFC South. Not one team has a quarterback. One, Ooh. one. And by the way, we should we should oh. at least have a conversation about Daniel Jones on here because right. he is like they can't move on from him at this it's point. They similar can't. to the Seattle though. Just it's, good enough. It's. It is, but he's younger, and so there is still room to say we saw him take steps forward. There's reason to believe he could take more steps forward. They can't. Seattle can move on from Geno Smith. Absolutely, Seattle can say we like him, but we don't think he's our franchise quarterback. Whereas the Giants, not yet. He played just well enough this season. The Giants can't. You know, short of having a shot at Lamar Jackson, right? Like you have, it would have to be that. Remember the Browns weren't going to be able to move be able to move on from Baker Mayfield unless it was Deshaun Watson, right? Like they were going to be doing Baker Mayfield business. Now we're not even considering Baker Mayfield on this list. But a year ago, the Browns had a franchise quarterback they could only move on from if they got a shot at somebody they could definitively say was better. Now whether or not Deshaun yeah. Watson will be that. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, do right? we add Watson to the list? Given the circumstances, well, that's a great point. Given, but he is definitively their franchise quarterback. That, that's the are, ultimate by default. You are, yeah, they can't move on. Right? They can't move on. Now we've na- managed to balloon this number up to nineteen, right? Like again, with some squinting, but we've managed to balloon it up to nineteen. And to the point, we know that two teams are going to go with Geno Smith and probably Derek Carr as their guys next season. And there's even some teams that. And don't have good quarterback play where they have to stay with this, that quarterback. Like, look at the Patriots. They kind of have to stay yeah, with Mac no, Jones. Yeah, no, Mac but. Jones is on that list. 100% Mac Jones is on that list. So we're going to make it 20, right? Mac Jones is on the list because they're not – I say they're not moving on from again unless it's something extraordinary they're not moving on from Mac Jones. But we're still only talking about 20. Two guys and maybe one of the 49ers quarterbacks will be an answer for somebody else. Like, maybe someone will trade for Trey Lance to make him their answer. Maybe – I can't imagine somebody trading for Jimmy Garoppolo thinking that's the answer, but maybe somebody would do that with Trey Lance and commit to him as their guy. But we're still talking about there being, even with all this, you know, if we if we take the teams that we're squinting with and put them in the list, there's still 12 teams that don't have anything that resembles an answer at quarterback. Anything at all. The Falcons, like, might give Desmond Ritter another try. Like, maybe. I'll go from, I'll go from the bottom. Um, yeah. Jets. Jets absolutely do not have an answer Texans. at quarterback. Texans absolutely do not. I mean, Colts. Colts. Yeah. Colts absolutely do not have an answer. Washington. They're going to tell you they're going to let. They're uh, going to tell you about Heineke. Come no, they're going to tell you they're going to let Sam Howell. Oh, That's right. what they're telling. <sighs> they told everybody interviewing for their offensive coordinator job they're going to give Sam Howell. Make Sam the, Howell. Like, you've got to make it work with Sam Howell. That means they're but on the list. to be clear, yes, one, that's not good enough, and two, it could just be a giant smokescreen to we know we're drafting a quarterback. We just don't want anybody to know that we're drafting a quarterback. So, yes, 1,000. Yeah, because they're around the middle, so yep. they could have teams jump them yep. for sure. Uh, Commanders, Falcons. The Raiders. Yep, yeah. Falcons we got. The Raiders, you know, the Jared Stidham is most certainly not the answer. Panthers. Panthers, of course, need a quarterback. Saints. Saints. Bucks. 
Bucks. That's the whole division. Yeah. Yep. It certainly is. That's nine. We're missing um, a few teams here. Um, Tennessee. Uh, Titans need a, again. They, they could need one. they could run it back with Ryan Tannehill if they, they aren't able to do any better, but they absolutely do not have a franchise quarterback on the team. Who's that? Who are we missing? We're missing. Yeah, we have to be missing, missing somebody. Any. Who are we missing here? What did you put the Rams in? What group did you put? The no, the Stafford. If Staff- he's you healthy, Stafford coming is, back. He's their guy until he retires. He's their guy. But hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And this was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We're missing two teams somehow. How somehow we're missing, two, missing teams? two teams. I don't know who we're missing from this group. Or I just forgot to write them down over here on this side. We said 49ers. We said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You said Kirk Cousins. You said Vikings. On there, you right? said Packers. What, what group did you put Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in, I guess? Uh, Rodgers is over here. Okay. So, you know, he's in one of those groups. You said hmm. you put the Bucks down, pa- right? Panthers. Yeah, put Panthers the Bucks need down. a quarterback. Panthers are on – what the hell I'm doing here? <laughs> I should have let somebody else be in charge of making these two lists. Maybe we should have just been crossing teams off. Yeah. I should have just printed a list real quick. Because we've got, we've got <laughs> ten teams that defini- definitively need quarterbacks over here. That means that there's two more answers over here that I'm not thinking of. Whatever. Whatever. I, I, Patriots it, on that list somewhere. I put the page – I put – Mac Jones over here. What the hell is going on? All right, stop, stop. We're we're overthinking yeah. this. It's a radio segment. We shouldn't be going this hard on this. Um, the point of all of this being, there is so many teams that need quarterbacks. Definitively, definitively need quarterbacks. Like there's not even a an argument for them about what they're doing at the quarterback position. I'm putting everybody over here that even have an even has an argument. For what they're doing at the quarterback position. Oh, the Seahawks are one of the complicating. Yeah, the Seahawks. These two. Well, no, because I got the Raiders over okay. here. Well, so I the Seahawks, Seahawks are one of them that I that we're kind of we're in purgatory with. Like, they need a quarterback, but it could be the quarterback they have. Like that might be the answer is the quarterback they have. They just have to lock that up and make that decision. And right now they haven't done that, so we don't know. So it's at least eleven teams then that definitively need quarterbacks, and one of them could end up being Geno Smith. It could be internal. But they need to make that decision. It's a striking number of teams that need quarterbacks. I mean, it's a striking number of teams. Yeah, it's not like last year where the Patriots or the Patriots, the Steelers had Kenny Pickett fall to them. Right. Like this is a quarterback, more of a quarterback heavy draft. Like it's the, more of a quarterback heavy draft. Everybody yeah. keeps bringing up next year as being like the the year to need a quarterback. But there's only one Caleb Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Like if if you say, well, I'd rather draft my quarterback next year. Let's only the one, first overall pick. Only yeah. one team is going to be able to come up with the guy. Like we're talking about Caleb Williams, like we talked about Andrew Luck, like we talked about Joe Burrow. You know the, the the absolute NFL ready. There's no project there whatsoever. There's no dispute. Caleb Williams is NFL quarterback on day one when he arrives. And by the way, it took Trevor Lawrence a couple of days right. to figure out how to be an NFL quarterback. We we're now finally we we see it. We get it. We get why everybody was so hot and bothered about Trevor Lawrence. But it even took him a couple of minutes. So if you're making your decision about quarterback, like that's why it goes back to the insanity of choosing to move on from the, uh, having the answer. Even if you liked Trevor Lawrence at the time, it took Trevor Lawrence the better part of a couple of years to become that guy. You've built up a roster that should otherwise be mostly Super Bowl worthy. I get it. Wide receiver is the big 
you know, the, the 20,000 pound elephant in the room, right? Like you don't have Super Bowl caliber wide receiver play on this roster right now. But outside of that, everything else about the roster screams competitive enough to win a Super Bowl. Imagine taking any step backwards at all at the quarterback position. And this is a debate I got into with somebody uh, from the radio show on Sunday. In order to say, hey, we think that the Ravens could be good enough because you, you would get more assets and more picks and you could even further improve the roster around Derek Carr, you have to have a perfect roster with high-level quarterback play in order to break through. Patrick Mahomes is unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. They don't even have a perfect roster. And they're in that it takes high-level quarterback play and a damn well-built roster in order to be able to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in order to be able to have a shot at winning a Super Bowl. I just can't fathom signing up for any risk of not having that at all. It's what makes this so insane to me whenever we have this conversation. I don't know where we just went there. I don't know what just happened, but whatever. that We talked about whatever it was we were supposed to talk about. Dave, I blame about. you. <laughs> you were, Dave wanted to talk about Anthony. Anthony, imagine that being your answer. <laughs> well, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, uh, Trevor Lawrence all exist. But why don't we just take a shot with Anthony right. Richardson? Maybe. I can't definitively say there's no chance. I can't say that Anthony Richardson couldn't become the next Jalen Hurts. But you're staring at that and you're signing up for that being your answer? You're signing up for, well, let's just give Anthony Richardson a shot. When you're staring at that, couldn't be me, dog. (laughs) Could not be me. No freaking way. All right, we'll come back in. We'll get a tidbit and tubular to wind things down for a Friday edition of the program. Again, don't forget. A Friday edition? What did I say there? What the hell is going on, man? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> I really <laughs> wish. Got a lot to do this week, actually. I need a few more days to prepare for. This thing where lacrosse season is starting uh, for me this weekend is a real issue because unlike basketball, when all you got to do is be prepared for a 10-person roster. You got 50. And and it's not like <laughs> in, in football you just sort of accept you're not really going to prepare for the entirety of the roster. You're going to prepare for as much as you prepare for. Like in lacrosse, you got to be prepared for at least 20, 20 I would say, 20 players. you got to be like really, often, yeah. really in on. You need to be in for at least the, the top two midfield lines, you know, the, the, the short stick defensive. Like you got to be in for the rope unit. you got to be in for – like you got to be really prepared for about 20-ish players when it comes to lacrosse. So the first games of the season, especially because I got a big one this week with Loyola and Maryland. Not sure if you've heard. They're pretty good. There's a little bit of interest in everything they do. I need a little time this week. <laughs> I could use – maybe Thursday can be the Charles and Griffin show, and I okay. can just – We'll just talk – we'll preview out. the UFC yeah, you'll just, you'll just <laughs> talk nothing but Two-hour preview. On Thursday's show. Um, hey, don't forget that you can still sign up right now. Um, whether it's you're feeling the Eagles or the Chiefs, place your Super Bowl bets with your favorite team and pick from hundreds of fun prop bets. Thousands of dollars in special sign-up offers with top sports books are available at PressBoxOnline.com offers. Go to PressBoxOnline.com offers right now and join the fun with great offers from FanDuel, BetMGM, Barstool, and more. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. 
Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. There's something for everyone this February at Laurel Park. Come watch live horse racing every Friday through Sunday and join us on Saturday, February 18th for the Winter Stakes Spectacular featuring six stakes races and $900,000 in purses, including the General George and Barbara Fritchie Stakes. The fun doesn't stop there. Stick around for our winter Mardi Gras celebration with live music, delicious food and drinks, and a carnival atmosphere. Plus, don't miss out on President's Day holiday racing on Monday, February 20th. Visit laurelpark.com for more info. That's laurelpark.com for more. See you at the track. Another Orioles season is in the books, and the Bataround was there every step of the way as the Birds posted their first winning season in six years. And after promoting two number one overall prospects in Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, Mike Elias has said it's liftoff from here. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and along with my co-host Zach Goodman, we'll be here every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon all off-season discussing every signing, trade, and waiver claim as we navigate the cold winter months that lead to spring training. You can watch us at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports or listen live at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And if you miss a show, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. So tune into the Bat Around with Paul Valley and Zach Goodman every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon, right here at Pressbox Sports. Stan the fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food. 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn over 4100 North Point Boulevard. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? Thinking about making a change in your career path in your life, the Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Find out more. Join BaltimoreCountyPD.com. Very competitive salaries for cadets over $30,000. So you know somebody who is struggling to launch after uh, high school, the young person that needs some guidance, some direction, might be a good path for them. Um, If you've been a career officer looking for a new home, they are looking for you. Uh, lateral officers, uh, I think it's something like 64,000, and then the number for new officers is over 60,000 as well. So a lot of great opportunities for you in the Baltimore County Police Department, advancement programs, specialized you know, groups, just a lot of great chances for you to uh, find your calling within the Baltimore County Police Department. Join BaltimoreCountyPD.com in order to find out more. As we wind down for a Tuesday edition of the show, definitely not Friday, Tuesday. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. 
All right, so Clay Thompson, he hit uh, 12 threes last night in the I Warriors' win. Um, and that just was... after I had written off the Warriors. Right. Just after I... No, you did not, like, not really, but I sort of said, like, you know, probably... I, I did definitively say there is no team to be... As much as the Nuggets have separated themselves in the standings, I don't believe that they are definitively the team to beat in the West. And what I said was, like, and with Steph Curry now being right. hurt, like... the probably works out for him because he'll come back just in time for the playoffs and then he'll be Steph Curry. I still, I would still argue that maybe... Clay Thompson's the, clearly back. I'd still argue that maybe the Mavericks are the team to beat, right? I mean, we got to see what it looks do like. Do not, yeah, I know. We have to see what it looks like and we have to see how much, how invested Kyrie really is. If he's invested, if he cares, if he's going to try, then I think the Mavericks could end up proving themselves to be the team to beat in the West. Yeah, I know. I feel like Dinwiddie was a really good point guard for that team. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Um, All right, so anyway, Clay. so that was the eighth time that he has hit 10 or more threes in a game, which is the second most games with 10 plus threes all time, Uh, and he remains on a list now of players that have hit 10 threes in a game multiple times. So players that have hit 10 plus threes in a game multiple in multiple games. Um, and that list includes only six players, including Clay. So I'm asking you to see. I'm gonna guess Steph Curry. Steph is Steph Curry of them. would be number one. He has done that 22 times, uh, which is by far and away the most. Clay is second with eight. My first guess would be Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is third. He has done it four times. Uh, I'm gonna say Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant only did this once. Hmm. So wait, this is. So I'm asking for players who have done did it multiple, multiple times. times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. James Harden. James Harden has done it three times. How about Trey Young? Trey Young is has not done it multiple times. I'm not sure if he's done it once either. Um, Seems like something he would do, right? They. I won't. Well, that's what we'll see. Why don't you yeah. settle down over there? Okay. Mm. Uh, I'm saying Kevin Durant, but he doesn't give, yeah. give like a volume shooter. It kind is of. not yeah. Kevin Durant. Volume shooters. You got to think of like. Well, that's why I said Kobe, right? <laughs> like that was the. <sighs> this is tricky. Because they're all also have to be. This did not yes. happen in so the they're, previous they're, they're eras of the NFL. Recent, yeah. This all had in the NFL. God, what is going on with me today? I'll still give Ray Allen a shot. Uh, Ray Allen has not done it tw- uh, multiple times. Which is a little bit surprising, but only a little bit again because the game is just so different. Mm. Damn, how many more are there still? Paul George. Three? We're looking for two more. Two more. Two more. Uh, not Paul George. Ay ay ay. Um. So one is active. One is no longer active, but he played within the last. One is active. Probably like the last three no years. One is no longer active. One is active. One is no longer active. I'm trying to think now of just guys Maybe. who just fill their stat sheet. Right. His last season was 2020. Jamal Crawford. Not Jamal Ooh, Crawford. One. That is a good I guess. Like that. Not, Jamal, not Jamal Crawford. Not Jamal Crawford. Devin Booker? Ooh, God. Not Devin Booker. It's a little bit surprising, actually. I was yeah, going to kick th- myself over. I think over. he's won a three-point contest at least once. Who the hell knows who's won it? Zach Levine. Zach Levine. Good he has done it the only guy times. I could name that's won a three-point or maybe he didn't even win. Maybe he won the dunk contest. Oh, yeah. Both, I think. Not Did he win both, both of them? Yeah. I think he's won both. I couldn't tell you anybody else yeah. who's won a three-point contest. All-star warrior right there. So one more. This player is no longer active. He last played in 2020 in the bubble. Oh, 2020 in the bubble. I don't. It's hard for me to remember he's who retired after. Don't want to give it away. 
you don't want to give it away. So there's something that if you Came told in, us, yeah, yeah, the the one the thing that I want to tell because he's still, uh, he's still an athlete, not in the NBA though. J.R. Smith. Oh, J.R. Smith. He's a golfer, right? Yeah, J.R. Smith is I a collegiate golfer. I was on the right track, but I was like, 10 threes? Oh, God. That's J. 30 Smith, points right there. Uh, right? It's, it's hard for me to remember that anybody yeah. let J.R. Smith stay on the floor times. long enough to do that, right? So J.R. Smith, James Harden, Zach Levine, Lillard, uh, Clay That's a Curry. weird group. That's a really, like, it's the type of group that like, makes you wonder really how impressive it is. Nah, yeah. like, you, that's the type of group they're going for 50 in February. Like, yeah, <laughs> like they just wake up one morning and they're like, "Yep, tonight's yeah. the night." I don't, I don't, I don't care about anything Let's going go. on in the game. This is what we're doing. It was tonight. actually a highlight the other night. Damian Lillard, like he had his dribble stopped from like forty-five feet away, and he had to stop his dribble, and nobody came to pick him up. It was like, Drew Holiday like ran off him because he picked up his dribble. And he just threw it up, swished it forty-five feet away, <laughs> like the second quarter. Caitlin. Not even shot clock running down, just. Caitlin Clark does that too, by the way. Yeah. God damn, she is fun to watch play. Oh, it's not against Maryland. Yeah, it was no. rough to watch her do it against Maryland. She went from forty points against Maryland to a casual triple double against whoever they were playing on Sunday. Like, like one of those. It, she didn't even really try all that hard, yeah. and then she had a triple double. Caitlin Clark is nuts, dude. Yeah, she is just nuts. All right, good stuff. Tubular brought to you by the print issue of Press Box. Only a little bit more than a week. Like literally, right about a week left. For you to pick up this print issue of Press Box with Adley Rutschman, our MoGabba Sports Person of the Year, on the cover. Go get it for free right now at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Press Box. You can read it all, pressboxonline.com slash of. As we mentioned earlier tonight, Maryland-Michigan State, 9 o'clock on ESPN2. Once again, I feel like Robbie Hummel is almost like the, the Maryland's personal right. col- uh, a color man. He's on the broadcast again tonight. Uh, Big Ten hoops, Rutgers, Indiana at 6.30 on Big Ten Network. I believe Illinois, Minnesota was canceled because of some COVID issues that Minnesota's dealing yeah, with. Yeah, so hopefully Maryland didn't I mean, I, I think the word was that they were already dealing with, like, injury issues, and there's, like, a oh, combination. So like, down. they just don't have enough players to play the uh, game. That sounds so maybe like they're, season woes. Right. It also sounds like, yes, they have so one they, win. just using COVID to not I don't. I don't want to be that. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do like that. Like I said, we'll call it season woes. Yeah, it's rough. Um, the rest of college basketball, find it at glennclarkradio.com. TNT, Suns, Nets at 7.30. And the big one tonight, of course, is Thunder, Lakers at 10 because LeBron James is 36 points away from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's scoring record. When I was doing the math on this, we were talking about it on Sunday. I said it's a TNT game. He's definitely going to go like make sure he gets the record tonight. But it's also a TNT game on Thursday. Who do they? I don't remember who they play on Thursday. It's one of them. I think it's the Bucks on Thursday. Maybe that they play. Yeah, they have like a stretch of like I think it's the Bucks. I think they play and like, then, like ba- the Clippers or the Warriors. Or the Warriors. I think it's on the Warriors. Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, so they like just missed the like. Saturday prime is the big time. ABC yeah. game that's at eight thirty. So that would be a far more desirable. But unless they sit him on Thursday for some reason, which they won't because right. of the media coverage this is already getting, right. and they're thirteenth in the West. Like, so sitting yeah. him would, would yeah, it, it would be, be very clear what they're trying to so, do. So. Like, the, I'm gonna bet it happens tonight. I'm gonna bet he gets 40 tonight and he breaks the record tonight. But if for some reason he doesn't, I hope he kind of stops at 35. Why? Put in a good 35 tonight because you get, get it on the get, more get it on Giannis. Make it get one, make it a highlight worth. I don't. I don't really care one way or the other. Him getting like, the all time on what Alexi Pukashev or <laughs> versus well, Giannis? Like, I come hear, on. I hear you. 
Uh, but that's tonight at 10 on TNT. ESPN Plus and Hulu for Oilers, Red Wings at 7.30. And USA for WWE NXT tonight at 8. Non-sports? Of course. The State of the Union address. Uh, that's right. It's on every network. At, uh, yeah. at, at 9. So you got to yeah. pick between Maryland or the State of the Union. I, yeah. It's not really a... <laughs> Maryland like, I, and LeBron. I, 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 this has nothing to do with who the president is. I don't care who the president is. I just... Watching the state, I know somebody's gonna yell at me like, "You should take this stuff more seriously and understand the importance of it." God, damn, I just can't. Tell me tomorrow if there was, I, I don't need a stump speech. If there was some real news, if something is announced of relevance to me tonight, like inform me in a tweet or something like that. Uh, and that's really it. All that breathes is a documentary coming out on HBO today. It's about the uh, the so birds started like dying in India, and these two brothers like looked into it, and it's apparently become it's like the most critically acclaimed documentary ever, at if least based on the so. trailer. Uh, I um, watched Banshees of Inisherin uh, last night. Not for me. Really? Not Man, for me. I've two thoughts on it. One, on it's a well-made film. You have to wait forever for something to happen. It's just a bunch of nothing for a long time. Now, the concept is kind of clever, and I get that it's a movie that's trying to make you think bigger than that about relationships and things like that, but I get sick. Also, I started White Lotus last night. No. Oh, oh, oh the, the, so you watched like, the very first episode. The first season. Not, it, I'm wait, it's too much waiting for something to happen. It's too much, you know, stuff on the perif- periphery. Like, it's too much just scenes and not, with, with it not being all that funny. Like, you can make up for periphery by it being really funny. There's, it's casually funny. Like, in moments, there are, the, the, the way these characters exist is funny. Like, there are times where you don't, there's not a joke that's told, but you laugh at it. You're like, you serious? Was that really your reaction in that moment? Like, but it's not intentional, funny. And I'm sick of waiting for things to happen. Like, you've got to have something happen in order for me. You can't keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and there be no action and just do, again, periphery scenes and try to make a show out of that. I am, I'll keep watching because everybody keeps saying how good it is, but. Not feeling it. Not feeling it at all. Gotcha. White Lotus. Yeah, I watched like the first episode, I think, when it first came out, and I was like, Yeah, you know what? I just didn't feel like watching no, it. There is I don't no, know if I'll revisit it. There's nothing there for me. Like I, I mean after this, yeah, after this everybody review, says season two is like the season. But like season one got a bunch I know, of I thought awards season one was as like, well. Like, like great. Not feeling it. Not feeling it. And that's how I feel about Banshees of Inisherin. Like again, clever. I, I get I get it. There's some commentary involved. Like I do something. Do so- anything. Do something. And it wasn't until, I don't want to give it away, something finally happened and they were like, oh, now it's a movie. But it took me 45 minutes to get to the part where it became a movie. And I've got to watch Plane. That's a movie. Plane. I, I, I will watch Plane. I will watch it, I promise you, at some point. All right, very good. Thanks today to uh, Sammy Siragusa. That was a, a wonderful conversation that we had with her, Tony Siragusa's daughter. Thanks also to Anthony Adams, new UMBC co- soccer coach, as well as Kyle Stackpole from CBS and Patrick Stevens. We'll get all of it up in the greatest hits section of the Oh, my God, it's so good. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. Tomorrow on the program, Sean, Sean Morris from Big Ten Network. We'll talk some Terps with him. Uh, Drew, I'm sure, for better or worse, will stop by. Anything? Stuff and things. Oh, boy. All right, stuff and things. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including the Baltimore County Police Department, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, Maryland Jockey Club, Great Eights Memorabilia, Maryland Vascular Specialists, UMBC Athletics, your local Toyota buy- dealer, and buyatoyota.com.
Charles, you are on uh, Instagram. Oh, or is Charles it all socials? AP28. Are you on, on Twitter Instagram. at all? Mm. No. Okay. No. Yeah, just Instagram. Give him a follow there. Of course, follow Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're doing some TikTok content this week. We're getting it back at Glenn Clark Radio for all of those. Thanks to uh, every- I did all the thank yous. All right. Have a great Tuesday night. Go Maryland. Duke sucks. <laughs>